All right, welcome back to the I'm There podcast. I'm your host, Freyway, and I'm here with my sexy slaying duo. We got Kenny and Stango today. What? Why are you so surprised? Yeah, you guys are sexy and slaying. You guys are cousins, you know? And I've been. Ah, slay. Yes, slay, Slay, mama, slay, cunty, the house down boots. Yes, all that good stuff. Mm. See, I didn't know that whole. That see that, you know, that we, we'll have to go to the training level. for that one. That yeah, level. we're not. I don't have see, that. that's that's what comes natural to you, Fraser. This <laughs> is how I know that you're not. If anyone ever tried to like be like, oh, is God. Fraser actually gay? How do we get here so fast? I don't well, how know. do we get here know. so fast? Anyway, too soon. We're here to talk about Slay the Spire. <laughs> that's the Slay that we're actually here to talk about. I don't that's know right. how we got on the topic of transgenders and fucking. Me well, not I don't think being... we got there yet. I don't even. Yeah, did you well, not we... hear what your cousin said? Did you not hear him in the beginning? Guys, we're going to get demonetized. We got to save this for thirty minutes in. We do <laughs> anyway. So, anyway. Slay the Spire is a deck building game that Kenny introduced to me a couple weeks ago, and there's a great story that goes along with this because for months, Kenny and Stango have both been talking about Slay the Spire, and I thought in my slow little head, that Slate Aspire was a companion-based card game. I thought that it was something that two people or more play together, and you kind of go on this, like, adventure where you build a deck and you beat, like, bosses or whatever. Kind of like, in DC Deck Building, a, a very popular deck building game that our group plays, or used to play anyway, uh, there's different modes you could play where you have co-op versions. And in the co-op versions, you do beat villains and bosses together. So in my head, I assumed that Slay the Spire was something where you play a co-op with friends and you guys slay. I don't I didn't really know what it would be, but I thought like some kind of villain dude. And that was the game. Come to find out, the game is actually single player, at least the video game version of it. So one day Kenny was like, Hey, do you want to record Slay the Spire tonight? And I was like, sure. We set up everything in OBS and Streamlabs and all that stuff. We're ready to record. And I'm super excited about it at first. And then he was like not turning his camera on and he was not doing anything to like say that he was also playing the game. So I was like, why are you not playing with me? He's like, oh, this is a single player game. Well, I, no, I was like, yeah, I was, I said, uh, I said, I need you to show me. I was like, I need to see your, your screen. Like you got to show me your gameplay or whatever. And then you're like, why? And I was like, so I can record it. And you're like, just record your screen. Yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, exactly. I was like, why are you what? not? Why are you not recording your own? Like, just record from your perspective. What the fuck? And he was like, well, you're the one playing. And I was so confused. It threw me all the way off. I got, like, really pissy about it. Kenny can tell you. Like, I was so annoyed because I went into the thing. It was so awkward. Oh, I thought we were doing content for our channel together with this game. Because the whole thing was we were like, all right, starting in 2024, we're going to do a couple new things with the channel. We're going to do YouTube shorts. We are going to start like doing Slate Aspire stuff and like all this other, you know, just general growth as you go as a content creator. And so when it came to Slate Aspire, I thought that it was going to be Kenny and I together, literally together, not just like him, you know, in the background, literally us together playing a game and then people watching us play this game. And then it come to find out it's actually me playing the game and him watching me play the game. So I was like immediately yeah. annoyed. Like I was super annoyed. But it was so hard to explain because that was step one. There was a step where... It was us playing together because there's a mod and we'll get to all of that. But step one was just him learning how to play the game. Yes. But he, he was so. And so then at some point he just starts playing and then we're kind of sitting there in awkward silence for like five or ten minutes. Yeah. Before I'm like, are you like playing or is this a test? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> he was like so angry. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, <laughs> he was like so upset. I was and a I was mad like, little ball of black you energy. Ask me what I'm doing. So I was, I was just so like, mad. what exactly are we doing right now? Kenny was so confused. 
He was he like, just he's wanted so an angry. answer. He was yeah. just he was just curious was what like, you were up to. Like, I'm, I'm playing. Yeah, I, I literally just started playing too. By the way, I like literally just clicked. I, I clicked on the Ironclad and I read his description. I read his HP and I read like you know all of the little things they give you before you officially start. Like what his ability does, heal six, and I clicked fucking you know embark. And then I got to the meow thing and I was like what the fuck is this now? And everything just like, everything just annoyed me about the game at first. Like, I was super fucking annoyed. I was just, un- I was insufferable. Let, let's just, let's just, let's just say to, to simplify it is that this, this slight misstep of un- misunderstanding of how they were actually going to play the game together yeah. literally almost led to Frazier just not playing the game. Yes. Actually, yes. Yeah. Tango. That's, that's where yeah. it was going. I was like, I, I actually think I said it at one point. I was like, I don't want to play this then because I thought that we were playing together and like I didn't want to add a single player game to my repertoire like I already don't play single player games I have fucking God yeah. of War and Final Fantasy 16 that I have not completed yet he was like I just don't want to do this he's like I'm not going to do it he's like he's like I don't play new games yeah, I play my game yeah I play the game li- listen every game that I've played in the last like literally five or so years Final Fantasy 7 Remake Final Fantasy 16 God of War 2018 God of War Ragnarok like literally Smash Ultimate it's just been straight up games that I have already been playing the se- like the sequels and stuff. I've been always playing Final Fantasy. I've always been playing God of War. So to yeah. me, and Bravely Default, I've always played that. And Monster Hunter, I've always played that. So for me, I was like, I don't really just play new things, Kenny. Like, that's not my thing. Like, I don't just, like, pick up a game out of nowhere and be like, oh, this looks fun. Let me try it out. Like, that's not... I don't yeah. operate like so that. so awkward. I was yeah, trying to explain, and- but I, like, there was just, you know... And then it just happened. But what's great, though, is that he's playing, and this... So this will go to show, if you haven't played Slay This Fire, if you did, you're sitting there like, see, this game's amazing. If you hadn't played it, it's a deck building game, It's like, but it's like an RPG, and like you're playing, it's like RPG combat system, but it's a deck builder, and it's a roguelike. It's insane, it's so fun. There's it's so one of the best games I've ever played in and my entire life. To show how good it is, he goes into this now, like, pissed. Like, he does not want to yes, play. Like, I'm furious. He's furious. And then, like, and like I said, the first five or ten minutes of us recording was super awkward, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then like 20 to 30 minutes in he's laughing he's like having fun and yeah. it's it's like all of a sudden he's like super he's like super into it. Like, yeah. it's like, a, it's he, like he, he's like he's like a fat kid in a candy candy field he's just yeah. laughing and like having a good old time mind you as he's playing like you're start he's starting to like brighten up he's like yes he's like wait i can do that he's like oh shit this is really cool wait a minute. mind you this, this is correct? all actually recorded just by the way yeah like, the only reason why this video hasn't come out yet is because we ran into an amateurish mistake um, yeah we had music playing the game has built-in music and so we have music in the background that we did not cut off during and mind you the first the first time i played the game it was five hours long and uh that's for a couple reasons but it was a five hour long run runs now take me two hours or, or less depending on how many things i do in the middle of my runs i tend to research things we'll talk about that in a little bit because this game is very similar to Yu-Gi-Oh, and that a lot of it is just do you know this it's just a knowledge check like a yeah, lot there's of, a, a lot of knowledge checks there's so many things that you don't know how they're going to resolve and i do mean that literally like how things resolve actually can break or make your run and what we mean by run is like a run is you playing uh with one of the characters and trying to get all the way to the end of the spire and beat the last boss that's a run and if you die then that's the end of your playthrough you get game over and you go back to choosing a character to play with and then climbing the spire from the beginning you just start from the beginning and that's something that's cool about it that's something that makes a game like this so much more approachable than like other new games because unlike final fantasy where for example i haven't played final fantasy in now a couple months and 
I've been wanting to go back to it, but it's like, oh, I don't really know where I'm at anymore. Yeah. I gotta like remember where I'm at in the story. And it's an Think action RPG. Spire. We have to get our fingers back to that game and everything. Yeah. Think about something like Slay the Spire is you can just turn it on whenever you want at any time, and there's no like context of what you were doing before. It's just you're doing a new run and then yeah. you just play. It's different every time you load it up, which is really cool. If you ever played a deck building game, think Ascension, right? Think Ascension, think DC deck building. If you ever played that, think of uh, there's a there's another one uh, that Catan. Catan, yep, that's a deck builder. There's a, there's one more that I also played as well. I can't remember the name of it, but it's similar to Ascension. God, what is the name of this deck building game? It's not coming to me. I keep wanting to say Oblivion, but it's not Oblivion. It's something else. But it has Dominion. Dominion. That's the one. Dominion. Yeah, I think Dominion was the the like original. Okay, I know Ascension is like the biggest one or something, but yeah. Dominion being yeah, that, I can see that being the progenitor of all of this. But deck building games are really fun. I got into them when we first went to Red Cap, which is where I met Kenny in the first place back in 2010, yep. and that was my first time ever playing Dominion. Then I ended up playing Ascension. Then Sean McCabe ended up becoming really good at Ascension, and he won like some big tournament in Ohio at uh, I forget what the name of that con is that they have in Ohio McCabe every year. Stopped. No, McCabe is broken. So like so is Silverman. They're both just fucking good at card games in general. Like my favorite thing about McCabe is that he's so broken but he's so nonchalant about his brokenness like the way he talks about things that happens like when he was playing gbs at the ps5 tournament he was just like yeah you know i i knew i knew his back row was fake i went based the i popped it and then it was over from there he, he also won it. faster than everybody else in the tournament like literally <laughs> he was the first one done every round and he was six he was undefeated he was like 6-0 and he was the first one done the clock would have like 34 minutes on it. i'm like bro it's literally been four minutes like six minutes like you, you why are you up why do you have a match slipping what happened but anyway um so i'm surrounded by people who are good at card games and i'm also surrounded by people who just enjoy card games and kenny is one of my friends who enjoys new things in general like he is my most adventurous friend by far when it comes to just like trying out things and introducing them to the group that's his like thing he gets excited about introducing you to some new nonsense and typically it's weird that we even work as friends because i am so opposed to new things especially as i get old i do not mm. like i don't like new friends i don't like new people mm. i don't like fucking new jobs i don't like any like i just want my life to be in a routine and i'm just happy <laughs> to live in this like very mundane routine basically every day every year i kind of wanted to go similar so every time something kind of kind of shakes that up i get i get like uncomfortable and then i start like spazzing out basically just throwing a little i literally throw a tantrum which is now one of my favorite cards in slate aspire but uh yeah the game is fantastic so we recorded the first run we might do something with it like even if we don't even if we don't ever upload that whole run i think it would be funny to just like upload parts of it like maybe, as a clip. maybe like a super cut of some kind yes because that first run is iconic first of all i made it to the end of the game on my first run but because this is such i cannot stress this enough slate aspire is the most knowledge checks you will ever play in anything you do in life next to Yu-Gi-Oh. like literally there are just so many things that resolve like well if you knew that this boss or this creature was going to do this you would have played your entire turn differently for example mm -hmm. one of the bosses Spoilers for Slate Aspire if you ever play it, um, but you'll get used to it because it's repetitive. You do the same. It's kind of like Monster Hunter, which is why yeah. I think I like it so Part much. Part of to to kind of if, if you know to alleviate some of what Fraser's saying, there is a lot of knowledge checks, but that's kind of the point of the game. It's, yeah. a, it's a style of game where you level up and get better at the game by playing it. It's you you don't get better like your character doesn't hit level 100 and now you can just no diff everything. It's that yeah. you play the game, you lose, and then you start over from the beginning and like. We said like your, a run. Your, your strategy builds up from trial and error. Loss, yeah, lo as you learn more defeats. about the game, lo you losses and defeats and help, help you like 
learn how to play the game better as a better player. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with that. This game is very different from most things that I've done just because of the replayability of it is unlike anything ever. It's really fun and it's very difficult. The game is so I can tell the game is difficult. Even on my first playthrough, I remember feeling the difficulty and it made me very nervous. And what I ended up doing because I was so scared is that I ended up building a defensive deck as I played through the game, which ended up being amazing and i made one mistake that i could not have known about when i got to the final boss in act three i didn't know that the awakened one so for people who actually know what slight aspire is you know exactly who the awakened one is it's like this dog-like creature and he starts with two minions and when you kill him he resurrects and he keeps all the strength that he gathered throughout the fight uh so if you and he gains strength from you using power cards so i didn't know because the build that i had in that first playthrough was like metallicize and like all these other things that basically make it where i set up shop with all these powers and then i just kind of like turtle and i just just win i just win by like not taking damage and then attacking you a little bit not taking damage attacking you a little bit and that was my whole strategy and then i get to him and i play all my powers like as the fight's going on while he's in his regular form. And so he gains all his strength, which I don't really comprehend how strength fully <laughs> works. Like Kenny kept telling me about strength throughout the playthrough, of course, but it never really like made sense to me that multi-attacks are really affected massively by strength increases. So, you know, singular attacks are like, yeah, they get stronger, but they don't get near, they don't scale nearly as much, but like multi-attacks, enemies can attack you in two different ways. They can attack you with just one big chunk of damage. So like, okay, I hit you once for 40, which is a lot. Or, an enemy can hit you for eight times five, which is also 40. But if they yeah. gain a if they gain a strength, it's nine times five. So then it's Yeah, because because if like it's crazy, because one strength, so if they're hitting you for 40, if they gain one strength, they're hitting you for 41. Big deal. But if they're hitting you for eight times five and they gain one strength, now all of a sudden, yeah, you're taking 45. one strength on every single hit. And so now it's 45. Yeah. And then that gets even worse the more strength they have. If they have five strength, all of a sudden. Yeah, all, again, of a, all of a sudden it gets wild. Yeah, five strength on 40 is just 45, but five strength on eight times five is like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite... 20 damage, 25 damage. One of my favorite dynamics of the game in general, because Frazier was talking about how, you know, he had this really interesting build and he was really happy about it and everything like that. But then he was mentioning that that downside of playing against the Awakened One uh, power cards are just like a card that you play once, essentially, like a Yu-Gi-Oh field spell that just stays continuous and it never goes away. It pretty much can't ever get removed. You play it and you get that benefit like every turn or whatever the conditions of its activation yep. happens. Yeah, if you play so, like, at the start like of your turn, you gain some strength or maybe you get some block or like you draw mm-hmm. more cards, etc., etc. The Awakened One gains strength for every power card that you play. So one of my favorite dynamics of the game is that there the game definitely incentivizes you to like pigeonhole yourself in like one hyper specific strategy where it's like, Oh, like I got all these cards throughout my run. And like, you know, I made these decisions of what I added, what I upgraded. So now I have like a super block deck. So now I'd never taken any damage and I get benefit of dealing damage when I have block. Right. You might have have you wall up and they take damage for attacking you. I had a playthrough yesterday where I accidentally killed one of those birds in act two because it attacked six times, and I did Flame Barrier turn one, yeah. and it was, doing, it was doing one time six. So it wasn't even doing a lot. I just wanted to protect myself, because I don't want to take damage. I did Flame Barrier, and my Flame Barrier happened to be upgraded, 
and it just died. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? And because like I have fast animations turned on. So it happened so quick and the bird was just, it was just, it just fell and died. And I yep. was like, I don't know what just it happened. But... It, it pecked itself to death. Yeah. Um, but so the game definitely incentivizes you to like pigeonhole a strategy into like one, like your deck does one specific thing. But my favorite thing about the game is that it really incentivizes and like it, it adds a lot of technical play and skill to the game where you are kind of, also incentivized to diversify what your deck can do yes yeah because several bosses in the game directly counter what certain strategies trying to do like one of the act three bosses and Frazier knows who exactly i'm yeah, talking about the, 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 the my most hated it. boss yeah because Sunday literally hates him he always comes up when you're having I'm the most fun and what i mean by the most fun like usually you have um a lot of mana the game does work off of a mana system yeah um cards cost mana um but, but like, if you're funny, having a lot of fun, and real quick, as you play yeah. it, because it's such a, it's a very manipulatable. It doesn't feel that way when you start Act One, but as you play it, sometimes even during Act One, you can manipulate mana so much, and you can do yep. so much more. It, like technically, you can only play three cards this turn, but really, the way your deck ends up working, you can play fifteen cards this turn, and it's like I'm not supposed to be able to do this. Yeah, yeah it, they actually it, just watched like, me before this uh, recording started. Kenny and Stengel just watched me do the end of a run, basically, where I got to the last boss, the the Act 3 boss, anyway. Um, and they didn't get to take a turn, because I probably played about 20-something cards before they took a turn. Because there's, like, there's a Time Walk card in the game for some reason, and this broken character has it. There's so many things to talk about with Slate Aspire, and we'll get to all of them, but... Um, <laughs> There's a broken character that you have to unlock when you play the game. You have to beat the game with the first three characters that you get to even unlock this fourth character. This fourth character is called the Watcher, and she's absolutely unhinged broken. <laughs> and today was actually my true awakening to like, okay, I get it. I like officially get it now. This character is not okay. She has a time walk, a card that... So if you don't know what time walk is, it's a term used... If about a magic community but it's actually sprouted out into every other card game community because magic was like the first real trading card game that became super popular time walk says take another turn and whenever you hear that term used in other card games it's always the same thing it's like oh it means take another turn no matter what the card's actually called in another card game so it's called vault in slate mm -hmm. aspire and it literally says take another turn after this one in your turn that's like what it does so basically you play it as your last card you do a bunch of things you play it, and then you literally take another turn. Your the whole enemy's side of the field gets skipped, and it comes back to you. And you draw a new set of five cards or more, depending on what relics and stuff you have. And we'll talk about relics too. But it's just kind of nuts because in my head, it's like the bosses and stuff do punish you for doing certain things, and you can only play a certain amount of cards based on the mana that you have, like Stango said. But you also your goal is to break the game and try to create as much synergy or infinites as you can with your deck. And I basically right now have an infinite deck that like I do this card that says draw until you have 10 and it costs nothing to play it, but you can only play it once per game. Like you can only play it. When you play it, it disappears out of your deck. It's called exhaust, right? So you activate it. It costs you zero mana to play it, but it fills your hand up. So you have 10 cards and I have two of them. And then I have two of the card that skips their turn and gives me another turn. So basically I end up playing probably, I actually probably downplayed it. I probably play like 30 cards and, and before they get to do anything, I play like 30 cards and it's insane. nothing has survived that stream of brokenness so far. So I'm like, Oh, I get why this character is the best. Now. But imagine like, how crazy it would have been. And then there's, you probably still would have cleared it but it would have been a lot harder your act three boss if it was timekeeper that's so that's yep. the interesting thing so so the, the boss that i beat 
they couldn't do anything about my ridiculous setup. I have a deck that is like perfect against this boss. Which, what they're talking about, what Kenny just brought up and what Stango hates is this one boss called Time Eater. And he is, in my opinion, the hardest boss. Um, he says that you can only play, I should say it like this. Once you play 12 cards, your turn automatically ends and it goes back to him immediately. And he gains strength. Oh, he also gets stronger when it happens? Yeah, he gets yeah. stronger when it happens. Yeah, okay. when you pay when you play 12 cards, when you play your 12th card, your turn ends immediately. You have no nothing. Your turn just ends and he gains strength. How much strength? Yep. And whatever I think uh, one or like, two. Yeah, it depends on what ascension you are okay. on, but I think it's like one or two on the lower ascensions, but essentially like the the main thing of like the time meter his his check and balance in the game is like when you're having too much fun and you're breaking the game a little yes. too hard he's supposed to be the boss that says all right let's go back to playing Slay yeah, the Spire yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what we're going to do this fight he would have been so awful for me right now because I literally like so the card that uh, I have that fills my hand up to 10 right is like cards of sanctity but on crack that card is bad against him in theory just because like it's meant you only play it once it disappears after you play it exhausts itself and you play it you'll play a bunch of cards but like if you don't if the cards are not like um, high damaging cards then you don't really make progress per se yeah like, if you have a bunch of bullshit, like, there's this one zero-cost card called Flurry of Blows, and it just does, like, four damage, which is not really impactful, but it's impactful over the course of how many times you play it. Against yeah. this guy, against Time Eater, where you can only play 12 cards a turn, or 12 cards before he resets you, it's actually awful to play Flurry of Blows at all, really, because it's like, well, I might as well just use this one. I better, like, I might as well get the clock up with a better card, like a strike. Yeah. It's just straight up better than Flurry of Blows. It's very weird, but, like... Yeah. Um, that's but that's something I really... Go ahead, Snago, because you were trying to make a point. No, I mean, that's my favorite part about the game is that, like, there there's multiple things that play into it where it's, like, the game's telling you, yes, like, this is, like, hyper-specific, like, this is what your deck does. Yeah. And then the game balances itself by having really specific bosses. And it's kind of random in a sense, but in a, in a sense, like, it has bosses and events and situations in the game that directly challenge those things that you can do that break the game. So like the time meter, like we were t saying, you can only play 12 cards a turn, essentially. Well, it's not yeah. even a turn yet. It's, it's actually more, period. it's more ridiculous than that, but to try to yeah. like simplify, we're just saying a turn, but it's really 12 cards. And then once you play 12 and it could be over the course of three turns, like you could, you could play six, yeah. one turn. It's like 12 next cards turn. and then the counter resets the zero and then you get another 12 cards. So if that you, you play, play badly, and this has happened to me before where like <laughs> yeah. you kind of like just mess up your play order a little bit. And yep. now all of a sudden you have, you have to end your turn because like you have no more energy left and you have the counter on like 10. Yes. And so now your next, your next turn, you turn, can only play, you can only play two, two cards. cards and then your turn auto ends and you're like, fuck me. Yeah, it's scary. Um, I could imagine him being a fucking nightmare on higher ascensions too, because yeah, we'll talk about ascensions, but like it's basically a way to replay the game. And every time you do an ascension, it goes all the way up. From it's like New Game Plus. But there's game... multiple stages to it. Exactly, yeah. New Game Plus, multiple stages, and it goes all the way up to level twenty. And every time you get a new ascension, it adds a new thing to the difficulty. So, for example, like ascension one will say uh, elites spawn more. So there are more hard fights that just show up on the map. The next Ascension, Ascension 2, will say uh, elites are tougher. So now elites have more HP and they hit a little harder. Then Ascension 3 will say regular enemies are tougher. And mm -hmm. then Ascension 4 will say, you know, something like uh, regular enemies and elites and something else appear more often on the map or whatever. And then Ascension 5 will say you don't heal to full after you complete an act. And it gets harder and harder. And they stack. 
which I didn't know until literally like this week, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, Frazier messaged me. He was just like, do Ascension stack? And I'm just like, yes. Like, <laughs> if you're on one, what do you mean? Yeah. and you like, yes, they stack. He like, said, you sweet you, summer child. You, yeah, that's literally what I said. It's just like you were so naive. You you thought you thought it was like, oh, I'm done with that ascension. On to the next one. I was like, oh, elites are tougher. That's fine. I'm okay. I'm done that one. Now I said normal enemies are tougher. I was like, okay, that's yeah. easy. And you know what's even funny funny about it? Because this is part of the knowledge check thing um, with Slay the Spire. When they say tougher, like your first inclination, and Frazier may not even realize this, so he might just get mind blasted right now. Tougher doesn't inherently mean they just only do more damage. They actually have different like <laughs> attack ordering and like things they prioritize in fights differently. That. So, for example, here's another thing that goes into it. So, just because it's a combat's like an RPG, like they've been saying, and it's like a roguelike, um, their status effects buffs and debuffs. Yeah. So you and enemies can either give themselves buffs or apply debuffs to the enemy. Your enemy, and then I guess you're their enemy as well, since you're trying to fuck them up in the spire. Right. But they right. can debuff you. Um, the higher ascensions, when things get tougher, those uh, like increases of difficulty aren't just the damage. It's also to like they'll spam more status effects. They'll do more attacks yeah, in like an ignorant way that is like harder to deal with than just raw damage. Like at some point. A lot of the fights get more difficult, not just from the sheer number of damage they do, by the amount of status effects, by lowering the amount of time, uh, the amount of like uh, defense uh, block, which is essentially like protecting your life points. Uh, lowering the amount of block that you can use to protect your life points, lowering your damage output, increasing the damage output that you take. Um, yeah, there's all kinds my favorite, of crazy shit that ends up happening. Yeah, my favorite one from deck. Time Meter. Yeah, my favorite one from Time Meter is that uh, not only does he end your turn in a 12 card allotment um when he hits you with a certain attack he actually makes you draw two less cards so can we talk about this because this started happening to me very recently on my last couple runs and it wasn't happening <laughs> before and i was going <laughs> to message you guys about this because every time something happens i'm still very new to the game even though i have around <laughs> 90 plus hours i think now i think i'm i'm below 100 hours but i'm like above 80 because i remember the last time i looked at it said 80 so i've played this game for a good amount in the last three weeks and I noticed that the time meter, I fought him yesterday and he hit me. And on my next turn, I drew four cards and I was staring at the screen like, <laughs> what? I was the silent too. And I was like, what just happened? So I was looking around and I see this little red door under my health. And it's like this little red. So all your status effects and all your buffs appear under your health. And they're just kind of like little icons. And you can hover over the icon. It'll tell you exactly what it does. But because, yep. the, and this is one of the things that's hard to deal with with Slate Aspire is that the UI, the user interface of the game there's so many things on the screen. There's so many things to keep track of. There's like your deck size. It can size, get cramped for sure. Your deck size, uh, your graveyard, your hand, which can be a maximum of 10 cards, uh, your actual character's body on the screen, their HP, their name, all the status effects, all the buffs that they have at the top, all your relics. Then it's like the keys that you may have gathered, the name of the character, the HP. Then you have like the deck, your actual deck with everything in it that you can just reference at any point during, like for any reason you can just look at, this is my total deck. So like, and Yu-Gi-Oh! We always talk about, man, it'd be really nice if I could just know my whole deck list when I need to. So you could just yeah. do that in Slay the Spire at any point. You could also see the map at any point for any reason. You could just click on the map. There's a settings button and then there's the enemies and then all of their nonsense too, just the way it is on you. So there's a lot to pay attention to. I didn't, I didn't notice, going back to the point about the time meter, I didn't notice what was happening, but he attacked me 
twice in a row when I drew four cards two turns in a row, and I started getting concerned because <laughs> my character, the run that I was playing, she was supposed to be drawing more cards per turn, and I was just drawing less. And I was like, I don't know if my game... I thought my game was bugged for a second. I literally thought... I was like, I think it's <laughs> yeah. bugged, but the thing is, I was That's like, I'm awesome. still going to win this fight. So I wasn't... I was, like, concerned, but I wasn't, like, too... Good. I was like, did I do something that, like, fucked the game up? Like, it's one of... Because I'm playing with mods on, and the mods are not, like, intentionally to make the game easier for me in a way that is, like, cheating. They're more so just visual representations of things so I don't have to memorize them or like an in-game calculator or a ratio of how many attacks are in my deck and how many defends are in my deck, stuff like that. Um, but they're just more things to pay attention to, which it can be overwhelming at first. And I only started adding them incrementally over time. Like over as I play the game and I get more used to it, I'm like, okay, add this, now add this. But I didn't even notice what was happening with the time meter. So now that you said that, like he gets tougher, bosses get tougher is um, Ascension 4. And I'm guessing that that's why I'm experiencing this weird ass thing I thought was kind of a glitch. Yeah, so uh, as far as it, it, it depends on what Ascension it is, but, yeah. you know. To, as a to, quick side note, we're not going to, because Fraser's at Ascension 7 six, or something. Six, yeah. yeah, we're not going beyond that. But so I don't want to talk as, about what happens, you know, at Ascension 10 or 15. Yeah, yeah, but in, in a sense. But just know like, that it gets bad. Yeah, the, the the thing is, is that like tougher to the layman would be like, oh, more damage, right? <laughs> like, no. Of course. It's like things actually legitimately like they like they get smarter like the way they attack you like they 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 actually like try to put you in the worst position every single time yeah so they they literally adapt and stuff that's actually so cool to me that this game the ai for it is really adaptable and it's evolving as you play it i can feel that to a degree as well when my runs aren't super crazy I've been on some really crazy ones lately. Like I've been sending screenshots to my both of these two. Um, I don't know why I keep sending them separately. So I send the same screenshot to both of them at the same time, and I, we have a group chat that I can just send it to. But it's actually so funny. Like Frazier, like to to start from how annoyed he was oh, with the game, hated it. To like he's he's messaging me constantly every like day. every day, every single like, day at wild times at, too. It'll be well, like one yeah, thirty a.m. and I'm like, you know what's awesome about that too. <laughs> Is after we played that the first day, right? Because, like, you know, it started off real awkward. Then by the end, he was loving it. Like, he was having yeah. so much fun, right? But then, and then after that, yeah. I was like, you know, I think I messaged him. I was just like, yeah, man, like, it was really fun. I'm super happy that you liked the game. And then he messaged me back. He was like, yeah, the game's incredible. Don't get me wrong. He, but I'm probably not really going to play it. Like, yeah, I thought, <laughs> like, I was, even I was still, you were like, I'm probably not really going to, like, play it. Any, like, I can't, I don't really want to play it because I got other stuff. To do. And then, like, a couple days later, he was like, I kind of feel like playing inside the spot. And then, yeah. like, I was like, it must have just been reason. in his head. Like, he must have just been thinking about the game. And then, like, it was bothering It was. Like, and I unlocked I the silent. And I was like, I kind of want to try this new character. Remember, I was like, I want to try this new character out. Yeah. And that was where I made the mistake. Um, once you play a different character, they the coolest thing about this game is that there's four characters in it, in, at least in the base game. And... The four characters all have different HP that they start with, different deck sizes, different uh, relics that they start with. So to explain what that means, like, so every character has HP, right? And you take damage from the enemies when you uh, land on an enemy node. So you're on a map. And as you travel throughout the game, every node has like, oh, this is a shop. The next node could be, and you could choose because there'll be like a split, like a fork in a row. And it'll be, oh, you could either go to a shop or you can go to a rest point and restore your HP or upgrade a card. Or you can fight another enemy, a tough enemy. And tough enemies always give you what's called a relic. Relics are these things that kind of sit on the screen at the top of the screen. 
they're buffs to your character to your run that they're they're always applying so for example one of them will say every time you add an attack card to your deck it is automatically upgraded and cards will start off really like i won't say they start off shitty but they start off in their base form and they're not they're not very like good as they could be and then you can upgrade it and it'll tell you if you right click on the card what the upgraded version of the card will do so let's say something as simple as pot agree right pot agree you get it and it says draw two cards the upgraded pot agree will say draw three cards Mm. and it's really cool because you want to upgrade certain cards over others you have to choose because you're not going to upgrade your entire deck before you beat it that's just not really normal it's not normal to do that so you really have to think like what makes the most sense to upgrade at any given point some cards are like i have to upgrade this as soon as possible some cards are like i'm never upgrading this like vigilance i'll that card is just never getting upgraded it's like the card is fine it's just never ever getting upgraded there will never be a time your run must be going fucking crazy if you're upgrading vigilance so it's like some cards you don't care about the upgrade ever and then some cards you're like this has to get upgraded yeah. as soon as possible like one of my favorite upgrades is on ironclad he has a card called true grit which true grit is like gain seven block and exhaust a random random card card in your hand and um exhaust means it's out of your deck for that combat and so it makes your deck smaller but then the upgraded versions like gain nine block and then exhaust a card in your hand you get to choose and that choice makes it so much more powerful because exhausting your the cards in your deck is very strong it makes your deck thinner it makes it so you can get to your combo quicker but when it's a random card it's like oh shit like i could lose a key piece of my combo here but when you get to choose the card you exhaust, it, it just becomes so much stronger. It's, yes. It's such so, a good thing. So the, the coolest thing about this game is that there's four characters and they all have different cards, right? So they all have their own card pool. When you're playing with them, Ironclad, the Silent, the Defect, and the Watcher, those are the four characters. They all get a 75-ish card pool. And when you beat an enemy, you get a choice between three cards and you get to pick one and add it to your deck. So it's like, okay, you start the game off and every time you start, you fight immediately, basically, right? So you get into your first fight, you beat the enemy. It's always going to be something super easy, like two caterpillars. You beat the caterpillars and then you'll get a choice between three cards to add to your deck. And these could be technically anything. And there's rarities too. There's like three different rarities. There's like common, uncommon, and rare or legendary or whatever you want to call it. And the cards, they look different. So gray cards are common. The blue cards are like uncommon commons and then you have your rare cards which are gold and they look blatantly like oh this is something special it's a trap though because rarities do not equal good think of Yu-Gi-Oh. just because something is secret rare doesn't mean it's actually a good card and because i play card games i already knew that going into like like when i first played invader of darkness isn't better than zaborg literally that (laughs) zaborg I won't even talk about it because the episode is not out yet. Yeah, Zaborg is a problem. Zaborg is a fucking problem. If you, know the, if you know the progression series, Zaborg is a problem. Um, but yeah, so rarity doesn't equal good, but rarity can equal good at the same time. Like it can be a denotion of like, well, this card has to be rare because this card is insane and it makes sense. So for the most part, I think the developers, they did a good job of baiting you with certain cards being rare and making it seem like, oh, a shiny new card, but like it's actually awful. Um And then they do a good job of just seeing, like, do you realize that this common card is actually one of the best cards, not even just for this character, in the fucking game? Like, this is one of the best cards in the entire game. Uh, So it's really cool. But yeah, all the characters play differently. They all have their own card pools. So the Ironclad... Is a, is a class that basically like uses his HP to deal damage and stuff like that. And that's one of his like coolest things about him. Um, do you want to say like with the silent and maybe yeah. uh, Stengel, you talk so, about the defect? Yeah. The silent. Uh, so yeah. And the other thing that Fraser was starting with, it's like they all have like, not only do they all have different decks, they have 
a different play style from the start. So like his starting relic, his starting ability is that at the end of every combat, he gains six HP. The thing about the silent is that um, she has the biggest deck. So she, she actually has a 12 card deck. Every character, their starting deck is a 10 card deck. That's mostly comprised of strikes. It's a basic damage and defend, which is a basic block card. And then they all have like their own special card. So like the ironclad has five strikes, four defends, and then bash, which is like, a better strike. It does more stuff. It makes them vulnerable to take more damage. The Silent has a 12-card deck. She has five strikes and five defends and a card called Neutralize, which makes the enemies weaker so they deal less damage to you. And then a card called Survivor, which is like a better block card. But then her starting relic is she draws two extra cards on turn one. So even though she has a 12-card deck, her opening hand is seven cards, um, which just makes it really interesting because she can see deeper into her deck. But then at the same time, like her deck's bigger. Yep. You got you want to like get rid of her trash cards more, um, so you can get more value out of her starting relic, which is really fucking cool. And then all the characters play different from there. And then you and then she also has a lot of zero cost cards and like draw cards. She has also like any more. So and then you have the defect, which is different. Stango, that's his favorite t- character. Yeah, yeah. So the defect, um, the main way that you win Slay the Spire is pretty much dealing direct damage with attacking cards. That's that's how you mainly kill most enemies and slay the spire and then you have your basic block cards defect flips the whole formula of how you generally play the game um his starting his starting relic is actually related to his like character's design like passive essentially he gets these three orbs we'll call them orbs that's what they are and he has three slots his starting relic gives him one lightning orb at the start of every combat and essentially what lightning orb says at the end of your turn, deal three damage to an enemy. So it's random. So he has three orbs that you can fill up, and there's cards that channel these orbs. Um, so with Zap, which is actually the, one of the defect starting cards, so the same way that Kenny was saying, uh, you know, four defense, four strikes, and then you have Zap, which is a card that is just one mana, and you channel another lightning. So then instead of only having one lightning orb, you have two now. So then at the end of your turn, you effectively deal six damage to whoever, three, three. And then his other card is called dual cast. And he has a, he has a mechanic with the orbs where you can essentially like pop them. Like you can tribute the orbs and it's called evoke and it makes the orbs trigger twice, but also trigger like times two is a way to kind of make it simple. So yeah, I if think lightning orb, orb is, pl- it's because I, I, I don't think I realized it until kind of recently. The Lightning Orb, I think, is plus five damage because at first I thought it was like, I don't know. It's plus five because it starts off at three and then when you evoke it, it's eight. And then right. I, yeah. had, I had a Lightning Orb that was like, they. I had this thing called Focus, which makes your orb stronger. And all my Lightning Orbs were dealing 11 at the end of every turn. But then when I popped them, they did like 16. And I was thinking, and I was like, I wonder how that works. I was like, because the jump from three to eight, because originally it goes from three to eight. I was like, the jump from three to eight is so big. I was like, that's more than double. I was like, how come now it's like 11 to 16? And then, like, I looked at it at, like, different times. I was like, I think it's just five. Now, that might yeah. be slightly wrong, but I was like, but I think evoking lightning warp is just plus five. Yeah, eff- effectively, to just, like, make it as easy to explain as possible, it's pretty much just, like, it. you make it times two of whatever it is effect is. Yeah, but yeah it deals more damage. Yep. Yeah, it deals more damage than what it normally does, but it, it exhausts it. It expends it. So it uses that orb, and now, you know, you can only have, typically a maximum of three orbs channeled at once. And then you have cards that essentially can give you more orb slots and you have different orbs that you can generate like Frost. Frost is like a defense orb. Uh, Dark is a broken ass, like it's like a super lightning, but it only attacks the lowest 
health monsters. And it gets and stronger have, every turn. It gets stronger every turn. It's like so, a spear bomb. Essentially, Defect takes the strategy of how the other characters play the game, where they're dealing direct damage, where the Defect is like kind of building up this resource engine and just passively dealing damage or doing big bursts of damage, but not like directly through strikes. And that's pretty much incentivized throughout its entire card pool. Almost yeah. everything with its card pool does something with orbs, uh, does something with like replacing like your shitty defense and strikes because almost all the alternative cards that deal damage or block damage with the defect are like pretty much infinitely sees way better than you know your basic block and strike attack yeah. and, that's and true it normally the- does something with a you know an orb in a lot of instances and yeah that's true with all the characters like your strike and defense are always the worst cards in your deck pretty much there was a funny time when Fraser would get to points when he was like new to the game where he had to remove or could remove a card from his deck and removing card from your deck generally just makes your deck better and then so he would get to the thing to the screen and he would scroll to the bottom and I was like I was like it's not down there I was like the card you're yeah. going to remove is not down there I was like you gotta go back up what's funny like, about none that, of the cards down there are what you're removing what's funny about that is my reflex is to naturally go to the bottom because I want to see the cool new stuff I got so every time I see the UI for your deck I naturally scroll to the bottom now I actually sort my deck all the time every time I play the game now my deck is sorted by obtained but in the opposite order so when you see me do a playthrough from now on you'll probably see me not have to scroll down as much because I know that my strikes and defense are at the bottom but like my His reflex is, stuff at, is at the top yeah, yeah. Yeah, my newest stuff is the first thing you see, uh, and I kind of just like it that way. And then sometimes I'll sort it by type because that's also useful to know just at certain points. Like, how many powers do I have? Because the awakened yeah. one is my boss. So it depends on like what you need, but you can do all kinds of sorting. But it is funny when I first played, I legit used to go to the bottom, not realizing that the default view, if you don't do anything to your UI, the default view is that your new cards get added to your deck and they're further to the bottom as you play the game. So like if you add 10 cards, those 10 cards get added in sequential order to the bottom of your deck. So every time I would remove a card, I would open the UI and I would see everything that I could see until you scroll down. And I would scroll down to the bottom and start staring. And Kenny's like, well, it's not down here. And I'm just, and then I'll scroll up like, you're you're right. You're in the the wrong place, bud. Yeah, because I'll be staring at the cards like, but not not with the intent that I would ever remove a new card, but just like staring at them, like yeah, okay, the card me, you want to remove is like let me think he, about he what just, I want to remove. He, he just wants to know like how to like <laughs> what what card is he going to remove? It's not going to be one of these ones. It's going to be predicated on you know yeah. the cards that he has. It's so funny. Um, another thing that's cool was like what Stango was saying. The main way to play the defect, right? He's like orb manipulation and doing a lot of orb shit. What's so cool about this game, though, is every character has so many cards and play styles. And there's some cards. There's something that's very true about the game. There's cards that you're going to play the game 30 times. You're like, this card is trash. Like, this card is just bad, right? And then on your 31st run, you'll be playing. And, like, you might get that card early because it's like there's nothing else to get. So you just have it. And then you play and you end up getting some other cards and some relics. And they end up comboing in a way where, like, holy shit. This card I thought was bad for the last 200 hours is actually insane. It's really good. But it has to be good in like different. Co- so like basically, yeah. there's no card that's just straight up always bad. There's that's there will be like a time when like it fits into a strategy, and then you're like, wow, this is like the most broken card I've ever played. Yeah, and the that's defect. Like, that, I was that's gonna say the, real quick, yo, the defect ahead, has an interesting thing because most of its playstyle is orbs, but then it has a whole like other thing where it has like these like really physical attacks, like it has claw, rip and tear, scrape, streamline, and like. All these physical attacks where, like, you can build a super hyper physical, and it has cards that say it's orb damage and orb effects, like how much defense frost orbs give you. It's all based on a stack called focus, and it has cards that increase focus. But then it has a card that says 
decrease your focus by, I think, one, and increase your strength and dex, which makes your attacks and defense cards better by one or two. It's like decrease your focus, increase your strength and dex. And it's I think it's also zero cost. So it's the biggest amount of strength and dex gain of like any card you could really get. Like they don't usually give you that much for free permanent. Like the Ironclad, who's all about strength, he has flex. Gain two strength. It's a free to play card but then you lose the strength at the end of your turn. This card for defect, you lose two focus, it's free to play, and you gain two strength and two block, and it never goes away. So anyway, all that to say is like, you can play the defect in a way where even though the last 30 runs you use orbs, you can play a run where your orbs are fucking useless yeah. and like you don't use them at all. There's claw like, runs. Yep. He has cards that literally are physical attacks and they don't use orbs. And it's all based around just spamming. He has this one card called, I think like Scrape or something like that. Yep, uh, yep. And he has a card that says, draw like five cards and discard any of them that don't cost zero so you can make a deck that literally cycles through its cards and it only and when you're building your deck as you play slate aspire you like don't add cards to your deck that conflict with this card you're trying to make this super efficient small deck that just keeps playing like claw and scrape and go for the eyes and stuff like that and what those cards do so like they naturally get better but one of them literally says i think every time you play this card it gets stronger like literally, yeah, so claw. claw claw is like an ine- is a an inevitability attack. It pretty much starts at really low damage five, and it costs zero. So it's it's generally a, a an okay pickup early because it's like oh free five damage. Like there's nothing better to get. Let me just get this because yeah. I may get a deck that can actually synergize off of claws. And the interesting thing about claw is that it actually incentivizes you to get more claws because it doesn't actually buff that card in your hand that you play. It buffs all cards named Claw. So when you attack with Claw (laughs) and you have five other claws, you know, locked and loaded in the deck, all those five other claws got that damage increase buff for the rest of the of that fight that you're doing. So it's at one point, really cool. if you just go claw, 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 claw throughout a whole long fight, your individual one claws can be like 30 damage, like a single card. Yeah. Which is like, it's, and a, it's a zero it, cost card. It's a very high amount of scaling. But just like as Kenny was saying, it's like a lot of times what happens on average is that like you'll be playing, you know, the classes and whatever ones that you play or prefer more, you'll kind of realize like, okay, there's like basic rules here of like, this is generally always good. Right. This is always a must pick. There are some overt builds that are just, if you get, if you start getting the cards for it, you just take it. Uh, that's just, yep. that's just what, you know, I love the fact that a hundred percent, there are multiple builds for every single character. No question. That is like an undeniable fact. Anybody trying to tell you of a stone cold tier list that this card's always bad or this card is always good is lying to you because the game is very adaptable. Go ahead. Stinger. It's you also random. Like you can't, you can't guarantee that you can always get that, you know, oh, this is the best card. You right. always can get this situation. Like it's, it's actually just completely random because it's also tied to rarity and like as Frazier was saying rarity doesn't equate like card quality yep like you can get screwed in a run because you're just getting the wrong combinations of cards like you get half of one build and then half of another build so then your deck is like kind of confused in a weird way where it doesn't really it doesn't have an identity and I kind of hate that feeling of my deck does two different things it doesn't do either of them well that is the worst feeling in Slate Aspire I do not like that and it's made me avoid just adding cards a lot more often now like now I just my decks my decks are like so fucking streamlined now that I will I will play the first act where like literally 
15 cards max and you start with 10 and i'll just like get through the first act like i'm not adding anything else i don't want this i don't want this i don't want this i don't want this and i'll just fucking start throwing the cards left and right nothing <laughs> nothing 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 because at first when you play you feel like you have to add you have to have something every time you win a fight you're like oh this is a reward and it even says on the screen in shiny letters rewards and you want to <laughs> always like in, in the beginning i say that most beginner players will just automatically go okay i won the fight I need to add something, of course. Like, my deck can only get better by adding cards, but that's actually not true. And I also knew this from DC Deck Building, which is a game where you can destroy cards as you play, and the best strategy in DC Deck Building is to actually destroy the deck that they start you with in the beginning. So you start off with seven punches and three um, vulnerabilities in, in DC Deck Building. And the best teams, the best, like, cards typically destroy those cards and usually generate power to like x-ray vision or whatever heat heat vision um when you do destruction it makes your deck more refined more efficient so that concept is like naturally ingrained in my head from dc so when i start playing slate aspire after a while i'm like i don't want to take anything and then kenny's yep. like well not taking anything is a choice as well and i'm like yeah i don't think that these cards contribute to my deck at all so i'm just gonna skip and then yep. now when i play like and i do a lot of playing just completely by myself especially lately i'm just like I'm just skipping. Like, I skip so much. Like, <laughs> skipping is that button in the bottom right. I fucking skip so many things, especially once Dude. I get a, a relic that says, like, you only get one reward anyway, like one card that you see. So I'm just like, yeah. All right, nope, skip. I love one of my favorite relics is, um, I think it's called like Mixing Bowl or something. I forget what it's called, but basically, Singing when, bowl. You're, yep. when you're on the card reward section, if you don't want to choose a card, you can instead just gain two HP. Yeah. And I love skipping anyway because. I, I want to get my deck to a part where I like, like to a point where I like it. Then at some point, adding cards can only hurt you. Like early on, you just you kind of just have to add cards because you need to deal with threats. If you don't add cards, you're not beating Gremlin Knob. Like yes, you just that is that is also a fact. Like so if you, you just don't add yeah. cards to the start of the game, like Gremlin Knob is just going to kill the, you. And then yeah, the beginning of the game is definitely like you need to increase the power of your deck because your base deck will not win the game. Like you not need to have cards that do different effects besides your basic block and attack. So. But, you don't want to gorge yourself because then you yeah. know you don't have anything. So eventually, to do. when you get your deck feeling comfortable, skipping feels really good. But when you get a relic that rewards you for skipping by increasing your max HP, you're like, oh, I'm skipping all this shit. Like I don't need any of this. I want to yeah. say, um, you know, it's kind of really funny because we're talking about uh Gremlin Knob, who's like the so there are these monsters called elites. There's regular monsters that you fight, and then there are these icons that look like the devil on the map, and they're elite fights. And elite fights are scary. They're much harder creatures. Sometimes there's multiples of them in a fight, and sometimes there's just one of them. And all of them are difficult compared to regular fights. Like, they're just very difficult. So if you had to categorize it or, like, put it in ascending order, it's regular enemies, right? And they have this little icon. Then there are elites, which look like the devil. And then at the top of every act, at the top of every map, is the boss. And so those are, like, the three levels of fights that you can have in Slate Aspire. And then there's, like, one extra level or whatever. We'll talk about the heart later. Um... As you travel through the game and you're like choosing whether you want to remove cards or whatever, it's really important to think about the elites that you could fight and they're the same every act. So in your head, you're like, okay, I, I, I map out my path because you always want to start off by like looking at who your boss is 
because you can see who the boss is at for every chapter as you play the game. So like, oh, it's time meter. This means that I do not want to add a bunch of low effect car like cards that call zero and don't really have the most most impact. They would be good in other runs, but against time meter, they're they're just terrible. Like claws yep. and stuff like that can be like really bad against him in theory because they start off so slow and like you're not really making progress. Whereas passive shit, where I don't have to really play anything. If I just block and pass, you'll just take a bunch of damage and this dark orb is going to get bigger and eventually I'll just one shot you right. So there's like play styles and stuff you want to think about as you play through the game um but adding cards and choosing to not add cards is like super super important now gremlin knob is always in he's always in act one and i noticed that the online reddit community and just like in youtube and stuff like that people talk about this guy now i'm just starting to realize it as i play more <laughs> i didn't realize it when i i'm just starting to realize a lot of things as i play because again i'm still very new to the game but gremlin knob is an elite that you typically always fight in act one now it's funny because this run that I'm currently on right now, guys, the one with the watcher, I actually didn't fight Gremlin Knob. I fought the the little shell thing that goes to sleep, and I fought the yeah. s- the sentries or whatever they're called. The shells. Its name is Lagavulin, but I always just call it like the hermit crab. That's what. Yeah, that's what like I see crab. Yeah. yeah. So the hermit crab and the sentry things, the three little things, I fought those two, and those were my two relics. So that's how I got the meat off the bone, and I got uh, the egg. And you see that those are like my two relics right after her starting yep. relic. Those are literally the. So that's why that run went probably so crazy because I didn't fight Gremlin Knob. I, I didn't fight him. I just got lucky and didn't fight him. And then on top of that, I ended up fight. I ended up getting like a crazy relic in the beginning, and that can like change everything. So relics are like a really big part of the game because they dictate how you build your deck as well. So we referenced this earlier, but I got something called uh, something egg. I don't know which egg it is. Toxic egg molten. or whatever. You got the Mol- molten egg. I got molten egg, and it says every time you add an attack to your deck, it automatically comes upgraded. Right. So. For the class that I'm playing, the Watcher, she is extremely offensive. Today, like I said, was my first day realizing, oh God, this character's God tier. Like, this character, yeah. I don't have defense in I've my been, deck. I've been spending several sessions, like, watching Fraser, like, when he was playing the Watcher. Yeah. Watcher, and He'd be I, like, and they're I, dead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, they're fucking dead. Look at like, your hand. You don't, you and don't I'm just staring at him, like, I don't hand. see how they're dead. And he's like, Fraser, look at it again. And I'm Do like, this. And then I start card, playing the cards, card. and I'm like, bro, yeah. why didn't I get a turn? Now, on my own, I open up my hand, and I'm just like, you're not getting a turn. You're, you're <laughs> awesome. And now, because she has time walk, this entire run, no one has taken a turn to do damage on me ever. Literally, I have not. I wish they, like, they probably have this, I'm assuming. At the end of the game, if it shows how much damage I took, I kid you not, because the last time I took damage was in Act 1, It will. it's going to say some low-ass number, like 16 damage this run. Like, literally, the sentries did damage, because you can't avoid it, I feel like. The sentries did damage. I didn't fight Gremlin yeah. Knob, right? So the sentries did damage. The Hermit Crab also died before he attacked. And then, like, that was it. Like, that was, run, crazy. Off, run over. Dude, the sentries... So Gremlin Knob is definitely the one that I think scares people the most. But I, my first ever elite I ever fought against in my first run was the Sentries. Same. And I remember fighting against them. And I was like, this game is unfair. Because yep. they just put garbage in your deck. Every turn, You just your deck gets garbage in it. And like you're just drawing shit. And you're like, how do I win? This is all garbage. But then it's yep. crazy because as you play more and you level up Ascensions, the game gets even harder. And that's something I love about the game is that when you play for the first time on Ascension Zero, the game feels pretty hard. And then there's 20 Ascensions above that. And then at some point, you're able to play on Ascension 15, 17, 18, 20. And the game is so much harder that if you were to play Ascension Zero, you you literally couldn't lose because yep. like, you're so much better at the game. But it's crazy because at one point, the game feels unbeatable. 
at its lowest level. And then at some point, the game feels unlosable at its lowest level. It's like, yeah, yeah, it, it's the, the game. The game scales with like the aptitude that you gain from playing the game. Yeah. Like when you when you start to get good at the game, you pretty much can solo. And that that's like that was like a uh, a main thing, like when Frazier uh, was first playing it. And like, you know, I was watching him and Kenny was watching him. And like when me and Frazier were like, uh, you know, I was pretty much watching his play sessions and stuff like that. He was just like, man, how do I do this? I'm like, do this. Boom, boom, boom. He's dead. Like this, this acts really easy. And then like when it got, once it got harder, Frazier was just like, wow, this game is getting much harder all of a sudden. Like <laughs> it kind of crept up on me. Like I didn't really know it was going to be like this all of a sudden, but like, the, part that gagged me, the part that gagged me was in the last seven days. Cause it wasn't literally this week, but like within the last seven days, I sent Stango a message saying that, wait, Ascension stack. And instead of me getting discouraged, I've been playing it more since realizing that. I don't know yeah. what happened, but literally since I said that to Stengo this in the last week, I've started playing this game more. And now I have all my characters on Ascension 6 and 5. Like, I think I, I Watcher is about to be on 6 literally. Well, she is on 6 now because I just beat the Do, Donu and Deku thing or whatever. Yeah. Um. So, like, I getting all my characters to Ascension, and I'm doing it slowly where I'm doing oh. every character one at a time. That is something that's really cool. So basically, in order to gain Ascension, you have to play whatever your highest Ascension is, and you have to beat the Act 3 boss, right? And in general, you beat the Act 3 boss, and then you beat it. But there's like a true boss where you have to go through, and there's things you have to do to get these keys. In order to get the keys, it also just makes your run weaker. You have to sacrifice things in order to get these keys. Like, you have to fight a really hard Elite to get one of the keys. You have to give up a Relic and a Chest to get one of the other keys so you lose out on a Relic. And then on another one at a campfire... You have to give up on either healing or upgrading a card to get a key. So you make your run weaker by getting these three keys. And then if you get the three keys, you unlock the secret act four. And then there's like the true final boss there. But I say all this to say something that's really cool is if you don't go for the true final boss, you beat you beat a run by beating act three and you unlock the next ascension. If you go for the true final boss, though, if you go for the heart, you beat act three. And if you lose to the heart, you still, even though the run now counts as a loss, like on your on your status page, you still unlock the next act. So even though you lost because you died to the heart, as long as you beat act three, it unlocks the next ascension. And if you die to the heart, it doesn't matter, which is really cool because that would be really annoying if you got to the heart and then like... Like if it was a gamble, basically. Yeah. Like getting getting the heart. So there's this thing that I'm doing, which is basically ascension climbing. So like Kenny said, there's a true ending where you can fight the heart and it's super challenging and it's the fourth boss, right? Normally on a run, there's only three bosses. But the heart is the fourth boss. It's the true boss. He's extremely difficult. He does all this crazy shit to you when you fight him. And because I'm trying to get to Ascension 20 with every character, like, that's my goal. So that I can start, like, playing the game and streaming it and showing no... And I might do some of my lower runs, but I feel like, I'm gonna be honest, these runs that I've been having are, like, so fucking easy, like, just, like, extremely easy that I'm waiting to get to the higher Ascension, yeah. like, past, like, the halfway mark, because... Ascension 20 is where people stream the game. Like, yes. if you ever look at content on YouTube, it's people doing Ascension 20 hard runs. Like, yeah. they're not and, doing Ascension and, 5. Well, the people are, but, like, I just don't care. Like, I just don't, I just don't click on any video that's like Ascension 5 Ironclad. Cause like, to me, I'm playing like, and this is also specific to my life and me personally, but like, I'm currently Ascension 6 with Ironclad. So like, I'm not about to look backwards because I didn't see that video until like YouTube suggests. Now I've been watching Slate of Spire constantly, you know how YouTube works. It's suggesting me content. And so a lot of what I'm seeing is like Frost Prime and like, but Baylor and like all these other guys who stream or talk about do tier lists and discuss how to play Watcher, how to play the silent. And like they all have their own ideas and opinions on it. Some of them are very conflicting with each other, which I find to be so interesting. How I feel like one of you is completely 
right. One of you is completely fucking wrong. Uh, and I'm also a very opinionated person as well, especially when it comes to card games. So it's so cool that there's a community and I want to join that community to some degree. Like I won't be full time, like Slate Aspire band, but it's just another thing to add to my like repertoire of, I also know how to play this game and, and, and play it at a high level, uh, which would be really, really fun. So I want to get to Ascension 20. So I'm just Ascension climbing. And that just means going through, beating the Act 3 boss, starting over, doing it again, doing it again, doing yeah. it again. And every time I do it, I get a new Ascension. What's crazy is that my last run, I just happened to end up with the three keys because the run, I haven't been attacked since fucking Act 1. So it's just like, yeah, all right, so well, I guess like, I got Well, the, I'm here. Uh, yeah. Um, th- There are, I will say, there are some times where I've watched low Ascensions and it's because some people will do like a, like a series of videos where they do like an Ascension win streak where they start at Ascension 1 broken. and they have to beat the game and then go to Ascension 2. And then if they have to go through Ascension 1 through 20 and and if they lose, they go back to Ascension 1. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, that sounds really fun. And I actually, I could totally see myself doing something like that. Like I could see myself doing start from Ascension, you said Ascension 0? Do they, do they start from 0? I think they one? start on Ascension 1. Okay. And then at least the video I saw, the rules were if you beat the Ascension, like if you beat the Act 3 boss, you go to the next one. You go to Ascension 2, gotcha. and then 3, and then 4. But if you so, beat the heart, if you decide to beat the heart on Ascension 2, you can skip Ascension 3 and go to Ascension 4. So it's like if you beat the Act 3 boss, go to the next Ascension. Huh. If you beat the heart, skip an Ascension and go to like the next so, one. So it's really yeah, cool. One of the cool things about uh, me just playing this game is realizing, like, okay, the difficulty scales and all that stuff and the replayability. Um, but even with the, the heart and stuff like that, there's these things called unlocks that you get as you play and do certain things, there's like achievements that you can unlock. Like one of the ones that I can't wrap my mind around and it's, it's just like a, an achievement that you get in the game, I guess like a, like an Xbox trophy or a PlayStation trophy. It says beat the game in like under five minutes. And right now at my current state, I cannot imagine beating slay the spire in five fucking minutes or whatever the time is. Yeah, it's not five it. minutes, but here, I'm going to check. I actually have the achievement, so I'm going to see what it says. It's some amount of time that my brain cannot comprehend right now because it's like, bro, beating this game, like, I, I, I'm a thinker. If you know how I play Yu-Gi-Oh!, you know I enjoy staring at my hand, pondering, taking a sip of a coffee, like, maybe eating a little nutter butter here and there. Like, <laughs> I just like to... I just kind of like to, to bisk, like bask in it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I kind of like bask in the ambiance of just like, mm, yeah, the weather's perfect out today. I have a cup of wine. I like swirl it around a little bit. I cleanse my palate. I take a little sip of my wine. Then I make a play. Then I might step back and say, ooh, but I'm going to get attacked for six. Do I want to defend or do I want to strike? Because maybe next time if I strike right now, I can kill him next turn. But six damage, how much is that really? Do I need the six HP? Then I might take another sip of my wine, eat an Oreo, go downstairs, take a piss, come back upstairs, maybe jerk off a little bit and then sit back down and make a Never play and then be like okay Ooh. let me sit back pet my well, cat dude the second time he ever played the second run he did with the silent he's playing and then halfway through playing he's like <laughs> i gotta go to wawa or something yeah. and like yeah. he leaves and like goes to wawa i do literally that can i can i say the by the way with with that in mind that's one of my favorite things about this this is actually like if you guys if you guys have um anything that you're ever doing that pretty much doesn't require like a direct mental focus. Like for me, when I'm at work, like during downtime, like I'll just play Slay the Spire because you can just pause it at any point yes. and just jump right yeah. back into it. You don't even have to turn it off. It. Like the game doesn't like if you completely turn it off, right? You just like close the application. Hmm. It's on every I system. Know, I, I have it I'm on always, the Switch. I'm always scared of that. But like if you just close the fucking application, like if um, it crashes, it'll it'll if it crashes. Yeah, you can just turn the turn it back on and you'll just be. 
where you were at. Yeah, I, think, I always do save and quit because I didn't know if like straight up closing it did that as well. But now that you can, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, it just if it crashes, you're fine. As a side note, the achievement's called Speed Climber. It's beat the game in under 20 minutes, and it is a very hard achievement to get. I do have it. There's like it's specifically hard for my black ass because I like to take my time. So that achievement is going to be difficult for me. Um, just because I do, I I can take 20 minutes on Act One. Like literally, Act One can take me 20 minutes. That's just because of how yeah. I naturally. I'm still very infant in this game, but like I genuinely like to take my time with a lot of things. So when it comes to card games, so like, yeah, 20 minutes is going to be something that I have to go into the run actively. Like, all right, start the run, embark. All right, now, uh, this one, take it, and then just like start yeah. playing. You have to my, go into my, it. My absolute favorite thing about when you do that run is that I'm just so ready for the stress situations when you're just like. Oh fuck! I'm taking too long. Like I gotta, I gotta, yeah. I gotta yeah. do something. <laughs> well, when I I only got that achievement kind of recently, like I don't know, maybe three months ago or something. I forget yeah. how long ago it was, but I got that achievement recently. And I one day I sat down. I was like, I'm gonna get this achievement. I'm gonna sit down and do runs tailored to doing this. And I just put it on Ascension Zero because I don't know how I would do it on Ascension Twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's also correct. Like when I do it, I'm gonna definitely do Ascension Zero. Just like just <laughs> unlock it. Like I want to do Ascension yeah. Zero. And then uh, yeah, it took me a couple tries. Like. I had a, a bunch of runs where, like, I was at 22 minutes or 25 minutes. Fuck. And I There's had to, even like, this one again. thing that says, um, it was like, win the whole game with five card, with a five card deck. Yeah. And I'm like, how? Like, like am I, I'm like, in my head right now, again. Because you start with are, 10. These are still concepts that are like, bro, yeah. how? Definitely with that one, because I've done that one before. You definitely need a little bit of luck. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of shops, a lot of events that like remove cards and stuff like that. But yep. it's and then yeah, a deck like, that's also broken, right? Because the deck would also yeah, the deck need to. Yeah, it's like two things, right? Because you can remove I'll all tell, your cards. I'll tell you, if you right want. now, not many decks can function with you five can, cards. You I'm can sure. get yeah. to five. Getting to five Stango is not my problem. Like it's yeah. getting to five functional cards. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get the five functional cards. Five <laughs> cards that get the job done. That was a fun. That's a fun achievement to get too. Because those achievements are like fun little twists game you go okay i'm going into this and my whole goal is to get the five functional cards and then that changes the way you pass like, yeah like stango said there's some luck involved with even being able to get there like some runs you just probably won't be able to get there you'll have to try again but there is a way you mitigate your luck by going like okay this is how i do it like this is how i get there now whether or not i get there is like we'll see yep. but this is how i get there i um, i think I think that's one of the best things about this game period is that like so many things in and out of the game like help keep the game fresh because of the nature of how the game plays like at a like at a very base level where it is essentially very repetitive like it's the yeah. same thing almost every time but the way they design the game of like the different cards archetypes and combos the different achievements the ascension climbing um the events which we haven't even really talked about and stuff like that. It, and relics, relics add such a different dynamic yeah. to literally every. Your relic game can literally say after every combat, like heal six, or it could say after every combat, see an additional a set of awards. So of rewards. So basically, at the you know when you start the game normally without this relic, you just see the three cards when you win. Right, you get your gold. You may get a potion. It's, it's random, and then you get one of three cards that you could pick and add to your deck. There's this one relic that I just got yesterday for the first time ever. And every single end screen basically was showing me six cards basically. And I could choose two of them to add to my deck instead of, so my deck yeah. could get better faster or worse faster, depending on how good of a player you are. Uh, some of it is bait. Uh, you know, I stick by that, but like, yeah, you get two. So you now instead of seeing three cards, you see six and that changes your entire run. And depending on when you get relics, some relics are 
amazing the earlier you get them, and then they become terrible if you get them too late. And an example of this is one that says, I always get this late. It says, when you rest, gain 15 additional HP, and it's called like a pillow. Oh, yeah. The regal pillow, I think. So you get this pillow, right? Stango has watched me get this pillow at the end of a run like four times already. Like, literally, there's like four runs, and and I'll literally say a lot like, that is the worst possible relic I could have just gotten. Like, I'll need a relic. I'll be like, bro, I hope this relic is nice. We'll fight an elite. And then it's like, all right, here's a regal pillow. And it's act three, and the boss is like, next. Yeah. Dude, oh, that's another cool thing is like, the elites, something that happens is like, the elites are hard. Like, they're really hard. When you fight them, you're going to lose. You, you, you're you either going to just lose the run, you're going to die, or you're going to lose like 20, 40 HP. Like you're you're going to get gonna hurt, die. Right? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're going to yeah. die. A, 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 really, <laughs> a really bad elite fight like early on can actually pretty much just like, end, end the run. run. You like cripple yeah. the whole run. You have to fight them because fighting elites not only gives you another card like any normal fight, it gives you a relic. And the relics, they make your deck so much stronger as well. And if you do your path, if you go through Act 1 and you just avoid all of the elites, because once again, Act 1, your, your deck is really weak. And then things like Grunland Knob can just kill you. Uh, but not just Grunland, even the centuries, like all three of the Act 1 bosses are fun because, or Act 1 elites, because they all test you in a different way. Like the way you beat the Grunland Knob isn't necessarily the same way you beat the centuries. And the way they challenge you is in a completely different way. But anyway, you have to fight them because you got to get relics. And so a mistake people make is like they avoid elite fights because like oh, I don't think my deck's ready for it. But you actually just have to like you have to fight them as soon as possible. Like you got to get your deck ready and fight them because if not, the longer you go without fighting them, you don't realize it because you feel healthier. You feel like you have more HP, but you're actually just in a worse spot than if you had less HP and you fought that elite to get the relic. You know, once upon a time, I knew someone who used to avoid elite fights. Yeah, I was scared. It's so weird how different it is because now I send you guys screenshots of me having 20 relics. Like, yes. I, like, I, like I, every day, you, for the last seven days, you guys have gotten a screenshot of a fucking seven, like literally two fucking lines of relics because I've just gotten so many now. And I fight every, I literally path to fight every elite that I possibly can. It was like, oh, I can fight three. I'm fighting, I can fight four. Oh shit, I'm fighting one of them twice. I'll literally do that and I end up with like the most relics. That's just how I play the game now. But when I first started, Stango would have to literally fucking pry and push me into the pool force force his hand he would have to actually like grab my fingers off the keyboard and be like (laughs) motherfucker press the goddamn button on the elite and i'm like no like when you try to put a cat in water and they start freaking (laughs) out that was me i was the cat and stango was literally trying to give me a bath and i was just like freaking the fuck out (laughs) i was so scared like stango we're gonna lose he's like no like you're gonna win you're being dumb you need to fight elites you cannot win like this and i'm like but I don't want to fight elites. He's like, if yeah, you don't fight wanna... elites, you can't win. Like, this game is not... And it, mind you, Stango was on Ascension Highest, right? So for from his perspective, watching me play Ascension Zero and bitching about elites has to be so ridiculous in hindsight now <laughs> that I'm thinking about it because I'm literally freaking out about fighting an elite. I have 45 HP and it's Ascension Zero. And I'm like, oh God, how am I ever going to do this? Uh, if we fight an elite, we might lose. And Stango's like, that's not happening. Like that's you know literally crazy? impossible. And a lot of games, when you go to higher difficulties, not only is the game harder, but sometimes they give you the player some sort of buff um, in a weird way. Like the game's just harder, but mm-hmm. you there's yep. something better about your character usually in like a higher difficulty for a lot of games. Inside this, there's literally no personal benefit to playing on Ascension 20. Like when you play on Ascension 20, the <laughs> cards aren't better. Like the cards you get aren't better. You know what I mean? So it's when you it's it's because it's the same game Ascension 1 to Ascension 20. It's literally just the game itself is easier or harder. 
but the cards are no different. So if you're playing on Ascension One, um, it's just it's just interesting because all the cards are the same, so but they just have so much more value because everything's easier. It's so interesting how that works too, because I feel like the game is much easier now than it was when I first started. And the weird thing is nothing changed about the game except it actually got more difficult. I have all of these nerfs when I play now because I'm on Ascension Five and Six. So I have all of these nerfs, or rather, the enemies and everything has gotten more difficult. They all have more HP. They hit harder. They they do different things. Apparently, um, all these things have ch- all these <laughs> Not things. Apparently, yeah, you, time meter. I didn't know what was going. On. I thought I literally thought of some kind of glitch because um, I was like, he wasn't doing this before. I know he wasn't doing this. So I was like, why is all of a sudden I'm getting this door, this red door under my thing? And I'm like, this wasn't. I thought that I did something wrong. Anyway, we talked about it already, but um, so the game is getting harder as I'm playing it, right? Like it's literally getting actually harder. And in a weird way, it feels so much easier to me now than it felt when I was Ascension Zero and bitching about fighting Elite at 45 HP with the Watcher. It's like, what are you afraid of? Like, you're the fucking Watcher. Your deck is already cracked. Like, what what are we talking about? You have like two cut through fates and fucking an eruption that already cost you one because you you already upgraded it and like something else broken like a crescendo or something in a in, a, in some other crate bowling bash or whatever it's like bro you have nothing to worry about like you're you're nothing. not losing to a fucking yep. elite on ascension zero where 45 hp is the watcher with your deck like it's not happening what's so. cool is there's a lot of different uh knowledge checks this is one i just thought of th- thinking about bosses and like these knowledge checks they change the way you play the game so much. And this one, I don't know whether or not Fraser knows this, but this is something he could have realized by now. So I'm just going to say it because it doesn't matter. Um, the In the Act 1, there, and every act, there's three different bosses. In Act 1, there's uh, King Slime or Slime Boss, um, the Guardian, and Hexaghost. And Hexaghost in general, I feel, is the easiest one anyway. But he's even easier when you realize the less HP you have against him, the better. When you fight Hexaghost, his first attack he does scales with how much HP you have. So he'll hit you like for a number times six. And if you have full HP, it'll be like 10 times six. But if you have like 20 HP, it'll be like two times six. Like the less HP you have, the, the weaker that attack is. No, and so when you go to fight, if I see I have Hexaghost as my act one boss, I go, okay, I can be more risky because having low HP isn't a detriment to the boss fight. Um, so I can be more risky. I can take more lead. That's fights. just how he I works can, in general. Yeah, that's just yeah. how he works. Yeah. So, yeah, so when you see Hexa Ghost, you can you know like okay, I can play a bit more risky. I can take more upgrades instead of heals, etc. Because when I get the Hexa Ghost, it's actually like for example, if I have twenty HP or or sometimes fifteen HP, and I'm fighting as the Guardian or Slime Boss, I'll go. I should probably just heal because I need like some amount of HP to get through this boss yeah. fight. And on top of that, I'm going to need the HP going into future acts, etc. But if it's Hexaghost, I'm not healing. I, if I'm going in with 10 HP, I'm like, all right, well, I got 10 so HP. So what's been happening to me, I noticed something about Hexaghost, but I didn't notice that specifically. What I did notice is that I couldn't grasp why his attacks were doing different amounts of damage depending on what run I was on. And it's also interesting because I switch characters every run because I, I do like this laddering thing with the Ascension. So I don't ever play t- the same character twice. Even when I think I am, I just don't do it. So like... When I get to Hexaghost or whoever the first boss is, typically the first boss has not given me any problems. Like, I can't think of the last time a Act 1 boss was problematic. What has been problematic for me is the Act 2 boss. The Act 2 boss has been so much harder to me. I feel like my Act 2 boss is harder than my Act 3 boss because by Act 3, my deck is so cracked. I think Act 2 is the hardest act. 
Act two, yeah, I agree. But I think it's it, always it, the twilight into like if you can win or if yes, you're gonna win or lose. Because around. by the time I get to act three, my deck is mostly built, and it's just like these little things that I'm ironing out. Like I want one more defend that's broken, or like I'll pick up an impervious if I see it, or I'll pick up something like a protect. Um, but I don't really need anything else. Like I'm just kind of adding or upgrading things, or whatever. Act two. The collector I hate. I literally hate him. I hate <laughs> I hate getting jumped in general. Like I really do. Um the, collect, the, the, the collector, exactly. You know how I feel about hallway fights. I had a really bad experience with that one elite in Act Three. Um that thing fucking freaks me out. The snake dude. So I hate that. I oh, hate that. Reptomancer? Elite. Reptomancer, yeah. I hate Reptomancer. So okay. Just because I don't want you to lose your point, but I just Reptomancer was brought up, so I got us. It's another thing that's so we said it so many times, but different elites and different bosses are different checks to your deck. You can have a really absurdly strong deck, but a certain elite checks it in a way that you didn't even realize. So Reptomancer is really cool because if you're not dealing with it, her by turn two, you're you can just die. Yeah. Like turn two, you watched it happen. Almost, almost happened to me in Stango. That one run we were playing, and like I dropped down to two HP. Yeah, I was so, at, I was at full, and I dropped to two. You can have a really strong deck that sets up an engine, and it's like okay. By the time my deck gets to turn four, I'm unbeatable. But Reptomancer says, well, I'm not letting you get to turn four. You have to deal with me turn one and two or you're dead. And here's another knowledge check. So I didn't notice until kind of recently, just like researching, but Reptomancer only does massive attacks when you let all of those fucking swords develop like that. Yeah. So, so like once you realize that, I was like, oh, okay. Because it almost punishes you for beating it the way you try to beat other hallway fights, which is go for the boss and the minions will leave. And typically yeah, yeah. that can work in a lot of fights. But if your deck can't one shot the Reptomancer, it's actually to your detriment to actually just attack Reptomancer and completely ignore the swords and let them just multiply. Once they <laughs> multiply and there's like four, three or four of them on the screen, they all swing for like a crazy amount that will <laughs> literally one shot you unless you're intangible. It is the most it's absurd like 30, 30, 30 times two. It's like, yes. Uh. <laughs> it's like, what just, it was like, what the fuck just happened? And so I used to get confused because I didn't understand why that was happening. Recently, I've been fighting Reptomancer. I go, kill this sword, kill this sword. They have a question mark on their head. Next turn, hit Reptomancer, still a question mark on their head. One sword appears, kill the sword, kill Reptomancer, game's over. It's like, all right. Yeah. But that first time I fought it, the first couple times I fought it, like when you and Stengel were both there, and I was like, why did it just come at me? <laughs> so, like, bro, it was just like four of them on the screen because I didn't attack any of them. And it's like, bro, why did I just get... I'm getting attacked for 90. So yeah, every, yep. every fight, every fight scales in different ways. Uh, and the more, you know, about the game, the more times you played the game, the better you get yeah, at yeah. fighting them. But yeah, bosses in act two, I feel like have been, I've had a run. I think I've had more runs and from the champ or close to ending from the champ than any other boss period. The champ yeah. is like, is because there's this balancing act. So the way the champ works is when he gets to half HP, he goes crazy. He fucking super buffs himself. And I think he also removes all his status ailments and debuffs. Yeah, he removes like all debuffs. He gets rid of them. He's like, nope. So he starts off with 420 HP where I'm at. And he, if you drop him to 210 or 210 or below, he's going to spend a turn to like unleash his power. Right. And when he does that, he starts swinging for crazy amounts of damage. So you have to be prepared to end the fight as soon as you hit him to half. So there's this interesting like balancing act that you have to do when you're fighting him where you don't want to just hit him so hard and exhaust all your good cards in a way. And then like half the next turn, he's just going to buff and kill you. You have to like do it in such a tricky way. So when I was the silent, for example, the silent is a character that plays in different ways. One of them is the shiv way. And one of them is the poison way. And I had a run where my deck was a poison deck and I didn't know how broken poison was until this run. Um, but the goal was, I just kept poisoning him. And the way poison works in Slay Spire is this, 
So let's say you do an attack that deals 12 poison. You do the flask, bouncing flask. It does 12 poison, right? At the end of the turn, uh, and at the start of the enemy's turn, they'll take 12 damage, and then it'll decrease to 11. So the next time they take poison damage on the next turn, it'll be 11 damage, and it'll decrease to 10. And so it, it scales downward, but you want to start with like a really good number, like 12, right? So bouncing class is amazing because it's like, okay, here's 12 to start. And then yep. it'll start to decrease over time. But it's residual damage that you don't have to even think about. It just happens as you play. So you just defend, take, they take 12. Defend again, they take 11. Defend again, they take 10. And eventually that you could just kill things like that. Well, there's a thing called Cataclysm or Catalyst and it yep. doubles your poison, and if you upgrade it, it triples the poison on a creature. So you can do Bouncing Flask, and it'll go to 12, and you can do Catalyst, and it'll go to 36. <laughs> and there's another card called Burst that says, play the next card twice. So you can go <laughs> Bouncing Flask, I give you 12 poison, then I go Burst, play Catalyst, it goes triple, you go to 36, then it triples the 36 and they go to 100 and whatever it is. And so and like, now you hit end turn and they take 100 damage. And yes. if they're not dead, you click end turn again and they take 100 damage minus one. Yes. Like, yep. So it's literally a win condition. So basically against the, the champ, I had a run where like I poisoned him a lot and I just defended it, poisoned a lot, just defended it, and like kept him in his base form where he's not ridiculous. And the second he got to like 250-ish, I just threw a catalyst at him. And I was yeah. like, and hold this, and you're gonna take so much damage, and you're gonna take so much damage. Cause he spends a turn to buff himself, so the he doesn't lose all his debuffs like immediately. It's like you you do the poison, he takes a bunch. Then yeah, you, you get a grace turn. But if you, you don't end him on the grace turn, he'd remove all the poison. Like the 300 poison he has, like, you know, that would kill him. But he removes it all. Like yeah. if you don't kill him on the grace turn, it's all gone. And now you're like, he's like, deal with me now. Yeah. So all in the game is a huge knowledge check. And the knowledge check changes apparently as you go through the ascensions as well uh, learning stuff still but mm -hmm. I just think that it's so cool how the more you play it the better you get but the, the cards don't necessarily get better like Kenny said and nothing about the game gets easier either like there's no incentive to play ascension 20 besides just like challenging yourself you're not getting any benefit like you it's not like it's oh, just because it's fun that's the ascension only reason why you play it yes it's not like at ascension 20 you're like oh I beat and I don't notice because I'm not ascension 20 but I'm just assuming if you beat the first caterpillars you're not just going to get like vault as your first card because you're on ascension 20 is like no nope. no i mean you can get vault as your first card if you're super lucky but you know. that's what yeah. just ha that's what happened in this run but i denied it so vault was my <laughs> i fought the caterpillars on this run and vault showed up in my first three card selection i literally was that's like insane i literally said no because i was like uh this is actually wild but i'm going to take and i forget what i ended up taking but it made sense at the time because i was like i don't want vault I kept thinking about Gremlin Knob, and I was like, I don't want Vault already because I'm not even remotely built yet, and I just want to get yeah. to a point where I'm built. I ended up getting another Vault as fate would have it. Then I end up multiplying that Vault, which, and now you're seeing so the end result. Anyway. So you end up seeing the end result of my playthrough where I could have had is three that Vaults. Two of them. Is that yeah? Is that two of them? Potentially three of them. All um, three. <laughs> yes. So Vault three, times time skip time walk. Really dumb card, but yeah, the game the game is absolutely fantastic. Relics are so cool. There's this concept. So. We talked about how uh, every character has like seventy five cards in their pool, right? You can get any, you can get any of. After you beat a uh, creature, if you win a fight, you get the choice between three cards, and depending on what relics, you can get more or less choices. There's this one relic that's like a rainbow cheese, and it makes oh it, yeah, prismatic shard. It makes it where instead of getting cards only from like the silence run or the or the ironclad's card pool or the watcher's card pool or the defects card pool you can now get cards from anyone's card pool so all of a sudden you could be playing a poison defect deck which yeah. 
is kind of broken because the defect naturally kind of walls up and just glacier, uh, build a bunch of ice, cool headed, cool headed, cool headed. I'm gonna do that again, cool headed, cool headed. And just like, this is my deck now. Like, I'm just literally sitting behind a wall and throwing poison, like throwing rocks yeah. high my hand. It's prismatic shard is so cool. And there something the game has it's just infinite replayability. It because there's another thing you can do called like a custom run. I mean, you go into a custom run, you can kind of set parameters before the run even starts, which is fucking awesome. And so I I can put it on Ascension 20, choose Ironclad, and it's Ascension 20, so it's like the, the hardest run it can be, but I can put these parameters on it that can make it different. For example, I can make it so that I draft my starting deck. So it'll give me like 10 card packs, oh, and I so draft cool. what my starting deck is. Then, But in all these parameters, you can either just have one parameter or more than one, and you can have them all stack. So one of the parameters is like you can... Uh, green cards will appear or blue cards or purple or all of them. So you can have a run where you start the run at the start of the run and every card from every character can appear. So you can have a run of the game where you just can be with any any fucking thing. And then there's parameters that make it easier and harder. There's one parameter that's like every time you go to the next floor um, and by floor, not just changing an axe, every time you go to the next node, you lose one max HP. So every fucking progress you make you lose one max hp but you start every combat with metallicize so you have like four metallicize at the start of every combat but you start but as you progress you're losing one max hp Oh, that's crazy there's, there's one where it's like every time you heal at a rest site you always heal to full no matter what you heal to full but healing to full reduces your max hp and then there's just like all these crazy ones there's one where it's like you start with your starting relics replaced with these three cursed relics like it's a relic that says you gain max hp whenever you gain a curse you gain strength and you gain a curse and like something else. And so you have like these three relics that scale off of curses. And then it says like every time you do anything, you get a curse added to your deck. So like you're getting really strong, but your deck's becoming shit because you're getting all these curses at it. Yeah. There's all these really cool infinite amount of parameters you can put on the game. There's also the daily climb where every single day the devs put out a custom run. If you click daily climb where you, you do a, a custom run of the game and it has custom parameters that are different every day um which is just like and so that's just like a fun way to to challenge yourself daily i have a friend that he plays the game he's not super concerned with ascension climbing but every day he does the daily climb and he's he has a lot of fun doing whatever the different that's mix really of cool. challenges there are on the daily climb every day so i just i love all that shit it's fucking awesome you know what my favorite one is there's an endless mode yes when you win act three you'll go back to act one with the same deck but a uh, blight is placed upon you, which yeah, essentially is like a permanent negative relic and they oh, scale for every time that you do the endless and it gets dark. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fast. so fun. So like as a yeah. small example, I won't say what all the blights are, but like as an example, I've done an endless run before you beat act three, you go back to act one and you have your fucking broken ass act three deck and you're on act one and you're like, what could happen? You start act one and there's a blight. You just have a blight, which is a cur- like a, a relic. And it says, Enemies deal 100% more damage. You're like, oh, all enemies now just deal double damage? Yeah, that's fucking and then insane. There's a bunch of other blights you can get. Every time you beat an endless run, you get more blights. It's like, it's it's really fun because, yeah, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, Slay Aspire is absolutely amazing. I recommend that if you made it to this point in the podcast and you still, you know, haven't quite understood what we're talking about, 
just just go and buy it. It's on Steam. It, apparently, it's, it's on cheap. every. It's very cheap. I bought it on sale. Kenny sent it to me when it was on sale. I don't remember how much I paid, but it was. Oh, yeah, this was like months before because we had planned on doing this, and it was like months before you played it, right? Yeah, I got it for like five dollars. It was so so cheap. So it's probably like a ten dollar game or something. But it was it was extremely extremely. There's sales cheap. on it all the time. There's sales on it all the time. It's a really cheap game, and the amount of hours that I've already played, which I said is close to a hundred, um, I feel like at that point. I've already gotten my value out of it. If you want to do like a, a dollar cost yeah. averaging of, you know, how much value did your dollars get? I've probably got more value out of Slate Aspire than like most games. Cause I don't play most games are over within a hundred hours. Yep. So, and so it's great. Um, as a quick thing, I don't know if we're where we're at, but I wanted to definitely mention the board game. Um, yes. Let's talk about that. We no, we can keep going. I'm not, I'm not ending the podcast, but I'm just saying like for people who haven't, if you haven't played Slate Aspire yet and you've listened to the if podcast, you're not convinced have, yet. Yeah. Just play it. Because we have some if enthusiasts. You, and most people that watch this podcast, right? Most of you guys are Yu-Gi-Oh fans. When yes. I tell you, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted Fraser to play. On top of that, I know that we I've played DC deck, I played other deck building games with them. But specifically, if you love, if you really like Yu-Gi-Oh! and you like looking at your cards and figuring out crazy combos and how it all works, I promise you, if you like Yu-Gi-Oh!, you will like Slay the Spire. It's just like there's something about the way you get your cards, how you put, and, and you start yeah. thinking to yourself, like, does this work like this the way I think it does? And then, like, it happens, and then you're like, what the? F-? And it feels so good to put the combos together and do all this crazy shit. So I promise you, you'll like it. Definitely pick it up. But there's a board game that's coming out, and the board game's cool because the board game is designed to be a multiplayer game. It's a multiplayer, it's, you know, physical deck building game that you and your friends can play together to slay the spire. And what's really cool about how the board game functions is, well, first of all, they've, they've, made the number smaller uh to make it more readable as a board game because you're going to have to do the physical math basically so instead of the ironclad having 80 hp he has 10 uh the d and then i think everybody else has like 9 hp um so the numbers are all smaller like instead of your attacks dealing 15 damage like a strike deals six in the game in the board game the strike deals one so strike is one and then like a pommel strike is like two damage for example um so the numbers are a lot smaller it makes the math a lot easier because you have to physically do it but how they do this now is that if you're playing, so let's say it's me, Fraser, and Stango, enemies will show up on each row. So like our characters will be placed in a row, and then there'll be a line of enemies in each row. So typically, like if you have to fight two caterpillars as your first fight, I'll be fighting two caterpillars, Fraser will be fighting two cal- caterpillars, and then Stango will be fighting like the jaw worm. And then so there'll be fucking six enemies that we have to deal with, and the enemies attack you in your row. So the caterpillars in my row will be just attacking me, and so on and so forth. But I can attack whichever enemy I want. So, for example, if there's a turn where, like, I'm like, okay, I have enough block on my hand. I'm not worried about it, but Fraser's about to die. I can, like, help Fraser. Like, okay, I'll help kill your guy so he, because you don't have enough block in your hand. I help kill your guy so that you don't die. So, like, there's a cooperative play. Then there's even some block cards. Most block only works for yourself. There's some block cards that say, like, apply this block to any player. So you can play a block card and help block for one of the other players. Mm. It's really fucking cool. And so you're basically just playing Slay the Spire but as a co-op game with all of your other friends. And I can't, and I, I can't wait to just physically shuffle. When the does this come out, by the way? It's coming out, I think, very soon. Um, I actually... It's, it's on Tabletop one of the things, Simulator right now. It is on Tabletop Sim, but it's something that annoyed me right before... So I'll just tell the story. Right before the podcast started, I got very annoyed. And I got annoyed because I knew we were about to talk about Southern Spire. I was excited. I was like, oh, let me go check my email to see if the game's coming out yet. Because I have the game like pre-ordered like two years ago. So I go to check my email and... It said that, like, blah, blah, blah. They try to take the money out, which means that they're getting ready to ship the game. Oh, wow. They don't take the money. They're getting ready to take the money out, but my card got declined. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I have the money. 
And first of all, something I hate, I hate when you pre-order stuff that they don't take the money until I, I just want them. To, I, I just I wish feel they the same take way. the money. I spent that when money it already. fucking happens. I feel the same way, Kenny. That happened to me recently where I got charged for something that I bought a while ago. Like let's yeah. say you buy a act like a, a anime figurine type of thing. Those things they'll typically be like a pre-order, but they won't deduct the five hundred dollars that the Jiraiya statue cost. And then one day, randomly two years from now, you can just get like a five hundred dollars charge. Like, bro, I'm poor yeah. now. And it's frustrating because, like, when you bought it, you looked at your funds, you're like, okay, I can afford this. But then going forward, you forget that, like, they didn't actually take the money out yet. So you look at your bank account, and technically, when you pre-order something, every time you look at your bank account from there for, you actually have minus $200. Right, you don't realize it's is minus. So anyway, they tried to take the money out of my account, like, a, a couple of weeks ago. I didn't even realize until today I checked the email. They tried to take the money out of my account, and I have enough money for it, but it's in my savings, not in my checking. So my card got declined, even though the money's there, it's not in my checking. So like, so my card got declined. So I got to like go in and like go talk to them and get them to blah, blah, blah. It's really frustrating because if I get screwed, because I have like the ultra super special edition where you get the entire box set of everything that comes in it. But I bought the edition where you get a second box set of, so I get double, I get every card in there times two and it's all the beta artwork. So I have all of the real artwork and all of the beta artwork. And so if I want to, I can like, I don't know. It's just really cool. And if I get screwed out of getting that, I'm going to be really pissed. So anyway, after this podcast, I'm going to have to go check on all that. But it's coming out very soon because if they went to go charge me, that means it's like getting ready to come out. So I can't wait to play the physical version. But I'm, then I'm on top down of to that, play it with you for sure. Oh, yeah. We got to like get together and play it and just fucking it's going to be so fun physically shuffling the cards. Yeah. But and th- there is a multiplayer way of playing the game version through mods. There's one called Together Inspire and one called Spire with Friends. Um, That's really fun. I haven't played Together Inspire. Uh, I don't know how that one works exactly, but I know it's different than Spire with Friends. The way Spire with Friends works is me, Frazier, and Stango go in, and all of a sudden, the map will have nesting nodes. So, like, you can have a node that has a fight, but then under it's a campfire. So if I go into it and I clear the fight and then go past it, if somebody goes into it after me, it's a campfire and not a fight anymore. You can also clear all the nodes where it just becomes an empty thing where somebody can just walk onto it and then go to the next one. Hmm. We can go in different directions or go in the same direction, um, and then you play, and, like, you're playing together... And then there's situations where you can, there's a new kind of shop where you can go into the shop and you can send things to other players. So I can get a relic that like doesn't really work for me. And then I could send it to Frazier. And now so, Frazier has this relic. That I, I got Shuriken as the defect, which I hate when that happens. Yeah, And then I can just send it to the Frazier who's using the silent. The other thing is there's different bonuses you can get in new events where you can combine cards. So I can like pick a card to send the Frazier. And Frazier can pick a card and it'll combine the two cards. So let's say it's like Blade Dance. I could send Frazier like Pommel Strike and then he can combine it with Blade Dance. And then he'll get a card that says deal two damage, draw two cards, gain three shivs. Because like it can it combine the effects of Blade Dance and Pommel Strike. And it's like you can just do all this. Or I can just straight up send him cards. So he's playing a different character. I can send him a card from my deck. And so now he's like playing with this hybrid deck. It's a really, really fun like co-op experience. You just go through and then you fight the boss. But the other thing is, if I get to the boss and I die, then like the run loses for all of us, but we get lives. So like if oh, there's three players, that's, be... that's but okay, you're explaining. Go ahead. Yeah, there's three players and you get like three lives. So like you could have one person go up and like die and lose a life and then die again and die again. And now we all lose because <laughs> we used all three lives. Like what the fuck are you doing? It's kind of like Moss Honor in that way. Yeah, exactly. You're throwing. Yeah. You're fucking throwing. Like, why, what are you why, doing? Yeah. Not you throwing. You I thought I could beat. The, I I thought I could beat him. No, you can't beat him. I'm looking at your deck right now. Your deck's awful. That's, deck's that's why do you think you can fight him? That's literally Stango. Not like I don't know how he's doing this so perfectly because this is what he would sound like if this situation happened. Like he's talking like it really happened. 
Yeah. It's funny because we did this with Cairo. I, I got Cairo into the game, although he hasn't really played it that much. But we got Cairo in like last year and we did Aspire with Friends thing with Cairo. And so he played a couple runs and he really enjoyed the game. But like Frazier, his runs took a really long time, right? We did Aspire with Friends and Cairo went into a fight, like the third fight. And then he takes a while in the fight. When he comes out of the fight, you could see where the, your friends are on the map. Oh, me I and Stango, me, Stango was like at the boss, and I was at like the campfire before the boss. And he was like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "Why are you guys at the end of the act? Like, I'm on the <laughs> third fight. You guys are done the act." <laughs> yeah, that's too good. Yeah, that was actually the best part about it, 100%, where it, it was like I was just speed running through it because like we were playing Ascension Zero, and like. If I get a good deck going and like I'm playing a character that like I'm really comfortable on, I can probably get through the first act in like under eight minutes. I just because like I, yeah, um, but yeah, no, that that I do remember that that was a really funny. It was like what you're at the yep. end. Yeah, when, there's, we, when we don't know how to ahead. do stuff, we take a long time. Uh, me and Kyra both, we'll, we'll get confused about something or we're just like reading and we'll stare for a while and we get that little awkward face and then we're like, all right, fuck, I'm just doing this. Like, we'll literally say that out loud. Like, I'm just doing this now. Well, what's crazy is there's there's a lot of people, like high, high level people that play the game, right? That are like super good and everybody watches them on YouTube. But even amongst them, there's variety. Like, there's some people that they play Ascension 20 heart runs and, but their runs only take an hour, two hours at most. Um... And, you know, they play through it, but, you know, taking it, there's, I, there's another YouTuber that plays Slay the Spire. He does Ascension 20 runs, Ascension 20 heart runs, but his runs are like seven hours because on every single decision, he sits there and hyper analyzes every single thing he uh-huh. does. And so his runs take like seven hours so that he can, he wants to give himself like the highest percent chance of like winning another run yeah. and try to win as many runs as he can uh for his like win percentage yeah the the like competitive slay the spire community is like really into like win rate specifically win rate or win streak there's two there's like two different things i personally like win streak more because i think that to me it makes more sense because like win rate i don't know it just because the way they do it is like win rate they do like what's your win rate over the course of 50 runs so you do 50 runs what was your win percentage in those 50 runs and i'm just like i don't want to do 50 runs i was about to to say with you I like like 50 runs in terms of like, okay, this is a good sample size to determine who's really the best of the best. Let's rank us top 10, top five, whatever. I like it for that. But then when you say 50, I'm like, bro, 50 runs is fucking unreal, though. That's a lot. And so... The other way, the other, there's like two competitive metrics. And I think they're both, they're both valid. Yeah, not 100%. If you have the time to them. do 50 runs, then by all means do 50. But right now I'm on like run 27 or no, I'm probably like run 30 because yeah. I've lost a couple. So it's like you add in all the ones where I got to Ascension 5 and 6. I'm at like it, run 30 something. I've been playing the game for 100 hours. Yeah, so it takes a long time. The other competitive metric is just win streaking. So it's like, what's the longest win streak? How many runs can you do in a row where you win? Like, can you get a, a five game win streak, a 10 game win streak, a 20 game win streak? And I like the win streak one more personally, just because it's a more condensed thing. There's a more con- definitive beginning and end. I start doing runs and then my record is how many wins I, I get in a row. And then when I lose, that's my record. I got a six game win streak. Um, And that's the, now decided in six games or 10 games instead of like the course of 50 fucking games. Yeah. I do think that what they're doing with the win rate, though, is removing um RNG from and then you run and then you get like penalized for that because this is a car game at the end of the day and the best metric for a car game to me is always going to be bigger sample size you could be a ycs champion or a national champion and never ever in your life top another tournament again 
Does that make you a better player than somebody who's top 25 tournaments? I do not think so. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And so but like, in, in the same regard, just like winning, like if somebody wins 10 YCSs in a row, sure, there was some level of luck, but you got to get like, well, that's just, that's just cotton. We, we know his name. We, we've had him on a podcast. <laughs> like we, there's we, definitely, we, we have that, his name. We have we know that, his we, name. We have the, we know his name is crazy. We have the, and I can tell you that we know his name is crazy. Kenny. We like, have, we actually have multiple yeah. of the names. Chris LeBlanc, who also has five <laughs> YCS wins. Like what do you, Chris has never lost in the finals. These people have been hey. here, but no, I, hey. I get what you're saying. I'm not trying well, to diminish it, but like, if you can do 10 in a row, it's like, that's definitely a, crazy level of whatever but yes. that's the thing both metrics i think are very valid yes i think both metrics are valid but i do think that at the end of the day just because i know how card games can be you can just get unlucky on one of them and be the best player in the entire you could be jesse cotton right and there's a tournament where jesse cotton is going to go o2 drop theoretically not he can't go to drop because of the belt so in new gale there's like this belt that gives him immunity oh for- it's such the he, he has literal immunity to first two rounds of every YCS he plays at. So like it's it, it's like some anime shit. It is anime. It makes it where he doesn't have to play against the scrubs rounds one and two because that's when the scrub decks come at you and you can lose to him. I've lost. I've traveled to Seattle, Washington, okay, to play Yu-Gi-Oh, and I ran against an anti-meta guy round one with my super broken meta deck and got scraped. And you only are going to play that suicide bomber guy in rounds one and two because he's not making it far into the he's not his run's going to end after like round three right like he's getting pizza and chips from the concession stands at the convention center for fifteen dollars he's getting pizza and chips for fifteen dollars by round three and like people walk up to him like what happened to you he's like oh, i play anti-meta like you know what it is so he's only yeah, beating I, one I person ruined two people's day yes but you know but i got now, now i'm done now i'm now i'm paying fifteen dollars for a fucking pretzel that's hard and, and a bag of chips like that's that's the guy that i lost to and it's fine right but it's also really unfortunate that Yes, that can just happen to you, and it is legit out of your control sometimes because it's a card game, um, and it doesn't mean that I'm not still one of the best players. It just means, like, yeah, today just wasn't my day, and it kind of fucking blows. So to mitigate that, I always think, like, a, a sample size where, show me you could do this again. Show me you could do it again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Yeah. And I and I love, pers- this is personal, but I personally love the repeated success is, like, I just, I, that's, that's, that's the point. I just love the repeated yeah. success. Uh, they're both repeated success, just in two different ways. One of them is like repeated success back to back. And then one's repeated success, but just over the course of so many games, like yeah. over 50, over 50, like you said, 50 runs. Give me, give me 43 of them. You won 43 runs out of 50. That's fucking broken. That's a crazy. That's incredible. Run. Yeah. That's really good. And in there, here's the thing in there, you're going to do win streaks, right? That's the only way. Yes. You're going to yes. do win streaks. A hundred percent. Yes. So that that's what's interesting though is that like I um no, you can do I both. think both <laughs> metrics are really good. I think that uh it's just cuz imagine like you have to you're competing with somebody and you're like all right, we're going to compete, we're going to see who's better inside the spire. I'll see you 2 months from now. We got to do our 50 <laughs> runs or our 100 month runs. Whereas like a win streak is like you figure it out within 10 runs, you know what I yeah, mean? Like you can you do a win, you can do a win streak thing in a day. Like in, yeah, you know, and so, you could be like, all right, we're taking the next because like I play Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments that start at 10 a.m. and I don't get done until 9 p.m. And that's been a part of my life for almost 20 years. So I could set aside, you know, a good 15 hours or some crazy number, 12, 12 right. let's say 12. I can set aside 12 hours and be like, we're going to play Slate Aspire until one of, one us, of us loses. One yeah. of us loses. Like, and then that's, even that's, then the, the win streaks, like you see them on YouTube or whatever, like they don't they don't do tons of runs in one day usually maybe they'll do two or three but the, even that spread out across multiple days yeah. at the end of the day the game requires a lot of thought processing. yes you deteriorate 
So yeah, you're going to you got to give yourself a break and stuff. But the game's awesome, man. It's yeah. top level. Like Ascension Twenty Heart is so fucking hard, and it's crazy to me because I've I've played Ascension Twenty Heart runs, and my win percentage is not great. I don't have a great win percentage on Ascension Twenty Heart runs at all. But it's like I look at some people play on YouTube, and it's like, man. Now it's probably maybe they're just only uploading their wins. I don't know. But well, that's fuck. That's How do they have multiple videos? How do they have a video every day where they're doing it, though? Oh, well, that's that part's wild, because that can actually, especially if it's as hard as you say, that could just take like like you in my head. It's like, well, you might not get a win today. Yeah. Like today can be a winless day. Like you could just be winless today. You know, it's crazy. The game is very difficult. I just got I just got three days in a row of heart heart wins to upload, you know? Yeah, like I can just I may have gotten all three of those heart wins in a single day. Yeah, it's broken. Like some people are just gifted. Some people are literally just gifted or lucky. I saw one guy start off his run with Pandora's box and he was like in the video was titled something like I'm going infinite with defect or some shit like that. And his first like all his cards got all his strikes and defense got transformed and they became skim skim meteorite recycle like meteor strike recycle. Um and just some other bullshit. And basically, every fight went exactly the same way. He like recycled the meteor strike, got a ton of energy, and then just started That's casting. And then just started casting and doing recycle. And his deck became refined. And he kept skimming and skimming and skimming. And then next thing you know, they, the enemies just died. Like they didn't get to take a turn. Like it was his deck. His deck yeah. was actually infinite. Like no one got to take a turn. And I was like, that is fucking stupid. And also in my head, I was like. I didn't even know that this was possible because like Pandora's mm-hmm. box is a new relic for me. So I'm like, this is some, not bull- only that, that's so rare to have. Cause in it order to do that relic. at the very first thing, when you start the run, you get like a bonus. And one of the bonuses sacrifice your starting relic for a boss relic at the, every boss, when you beat them, they give you a relic and the boss relics are interesting because they all give you a benefit. But they also all give you some detriment to some degree. Some of them give you a smaller benefit, but no detriment. But a lot of them are like you start, you're every turn with more energy, but you can no longer get gold or you can no longer get potions yeah. or you can only play six cards a turn or you can no longer heal. Um, so they all have a weird detriment. One of them is called Pandora's Box. Pandora's Box changes all the strikes and defense in your deck to just other cards. And so you can do a boss relic swap, hit Pandora's Box, and then all your strikes and defense turn into like something else. Like I saw one one time where all his strikes turned into claws and it's like, oh, shit. Well, the run's over. Yeah, now I just have free damage and every time i play this damage it gets stronger yeah the run is actually you just you just we just one run you literally yeah it's like all right well i'm good yeah i can't wait to do a pandora box run like seeing that guy do that obviously you know it's not just going to go the way his went where i'll be getting an infinite deck immediately but the idea of doing it is so cool to me especially to start like that like i might even do because you can mod the game of course I might even do a like a session where I like custom it to just be like start off with Pandora's box and then just like play like that. And like no matter what I yeah. get, like this is what I'm playing with, it doesn't matter. Like I'll live stream it or whatever and just like I'm just playing whatever we get, chat. This is what it is. And people do that. Cause you can mod the game where you can make it so that uh you can make it so that it's guaranteed you'll get Pandora's box. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's very I've so, seen people do all kinds of wild shit. Like they can just you can you can manipulate the game in any way you want, basically. The game is highly, highly moddable. Yes. And this and is there's something, a lot of really cool mods. This is something that I'm still wrapping my head around because uh 
I'm not a PC gamer until like basically now. I don't have PC games. If you look at my Steam library, it's tabletop sim. Oh, your Steam library is yeah, it's tabletop sim and like Slate's Aspire. That's it. You can actually see it. Like my, this is no joke. I do not, and I have a gaming PC. I actually bought an uh, Alien, yeah, Alienware. I have an Alienware PC that I bought. I didn't even know what it was called. I had to double check because uh, <laughs> I was about to say Alienware. But I was like, do I have Alienware? But no, I have an Alienware desktop computer and so it was it's like it's a it's a gaming computer right like it's blatantly meant for that that was dell's gaming line an alien box yep yeah, i should have called it that for the <laughs> memes but i have an alienware computer and i don't use it for anything besides like now i use it for content but there was a period where i wasn't even making content and i just had it just because yeah. i wanted something expensive and powerful because that's just what i do it was the youtube machine yeah literally just a YouTube, uh, literally a you crazy were on a YouTube, youtube machine that is crazy actually yes, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's not even just my PC that's like that, though. I have a lot of devices that are like maxed out or crazy high specs, and they're really just like a YouTube scroll machine or like Instagram machine or like yeah, yeah. Uh, my torrent downloading machine. My MacBook Pro, I just bought one uh, two months ago. I bought a new, I bought the newest MacBook Pro. They just released a new line of them, and the specs of them are fucking out. My MacBook right now is stronger than this PC. And it's not even close. That's crazy. Gary looked at the specs. It has 32 gigs of RAM. It has two terabytes of space. It has, and now this stuff doesn't mean anything to people who don't know Apple, but it has the M3 chip, the M3 Pro Max chip, by the way. Uh, it was, it's like specked out of this fucking, my, my MacBook, Medina looked at it the last time we were together. He was like, what the fuck? Like he was, he was like staring at the, about this Mac screen and like scrolling up. But then he was like, damn, you make me want to buy it. Cause like every time we get new tech, me and Medina have this thing where like, we kind of oh. want new tech because the other person has new tech. So he saw, he's like, damn, you make me want to like buy a new laptop because my laptop right now, like oh. I'm taking it to, with me to Vegas and I don't, I don't need it for anything. But if I wanted to edit the podcast or I wanted to edit uh anything i can like do full content creation on the go and that was the goal when i bought it i also wanted to be future proofed what were you going to say kenny i was going to say medina is the most tech competitive person ever i'll never forget (laughs) the first time i built my pc my very first pc build which was in 2010 i built my pc and i got like one of the best monitors i could get at that time not like super super mega but i got like one of the best monitors i can get at that time and i think it was like a 27 inch monitor and medina's monitor was like a 25 inch and then my monitor was bigger than at the time we lived together. My monitor was bigger than his. And then he was like, within a month, he bought a new monitor. He was just like, <laughs> he needed a bigger monitor. Like, like he was like, I like he would come to my side of the room and then he would see that like my monitor is bigger than his. Yep. And he'd like, he's like, you're so corny. He was like, you got that just, just to like be better than mine. I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, your monitor is three years older than mine. You bought yours three years ago. Yeah. And he was like, well, now I got to buy another one. <laughs> I love that. that uh, see, see, Medina is always great for that because he just has this like way that he says things when he's yes. like, being sarcastic. He's just like, interesting monitor you got there. Hmm? Yep. That's yeah, literally yeah. him. That's literally him. <laughs> he might rub it, rub his chin. He's just like, how much was that? He, and then he'll be like, like, can he say, you think you're such cool shit, don't you? Yeah. yeah you, you think, think you're real best. cool. Mr. Monitor best. man today. Yeah. Mr. Monitor Man, look at you. Oh, I'm Mr. Monitor Man. What a cool guy you are. (laughs) You can't just start talking to you like that. We say all this to say, you were saying you're not a PC gamer, so I think you were saying modding and like this idea, this concept. It's new to me. Because even with like Monster Hunter, we're talking about playing the next Monster Hunter 
on PC, which I, I cannot wait to do because I've seen mods where people upload their speedruns. They're playing as Sephiroth with the long sword, playing as Cloud with the great sword. And I'm and they have the busted sword as their as their actual sword. And I think that shit is so fire to me. And I've never been able to do it because I just always play games on the console that they came out on. Now I'm playing a, a real PC game, technically, like Slate Aspire or whatever, and it has all these mods, and I didn't even know how to inject them. Like, do you guys have to show me that you have to subscribe to it, then when you go to play the game, you inject the mods into it, and then, like, you yeah. choose them off a checklist which, and all this? What's crazy is modding games used to be a lot more involved. With Steam and Steam having this thing called Steam Workshop, which is literally just, like, developer-supported modding, basically, you just go to the workshop and you click it, and now your game is modded. Like, yes. It's, it's so simple. So... This concept to me, the first time I've ever experienced it is right now with Slate Aspire. Outside of like Game Shark and stuff back in the day when I was a kid. But yeah. in terms of PC gaming and just doing mods on Steam, I, this is the first time I've ever done it. And it feels insane because I just go in a workshop and scroll and see like, oh, I could turn this into like a Japanese pop star game anyway. Okay, let's go to the next yeah. thing. And just like you can just do and all kinds of random shit. What's those mods? Mod. I was going to say, with those, I was going to about to get <laughs> okay. that. With I'll, the mods. Okay. There's DLC, right? Like I essentially it's free I'm DLC. <laughs> so there's there's when you think about it, like all these games have DLC now, and you gotta pay $30, $20, $15 for every DLC pack. With modding, you get DLC for free. Now it's not from the developer, but for example, the one day phrase was I think it'd be really cool if like one day the people that made this game released four new characters. And I was like, I don't think that's gonna happen because you know they're working on other projects, etc. But the game is fully what meant to say is that those people are rich and they don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but they are um, and they deserve it the game's amazing there's a mod for the game where you can play as the bosses it's called downfall and so it unlocks the slime boss the guardian the champ um the collector hexaghost and they are now characters and you use and they have com- full decks relics events everything and they're like balanced and they have all of their own play styles and it's really so you like you can install this mod and oh i have eight new characters added to the fucking game and the community updates that them sounds and gets, so fun and there's there's a bunch of other, so there's a mod called the Duelist, which now here's the thing: not all the mods are created equal. The Downfall mod, I think, is extremely polished, and all the characters are like really polished. Yep. The Duelist is a fucking rant, <laughs> but we have to we have to do a, a YouTube stream of it one day because like you, oh, you, you think see we you got think you were do, confused when you were playing base games play the spider. The it's Duelist such a mod. Rant. Is so all over the place, but like it's just the <laughs> most fun, mind numbing. Like play, 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 play. This card, play, play. It's such. It's so it's, nonsense, and like, and you can tell how low budget it is because like you see Yugi on the screen, but he's like this shitty cutout of Yugi, yeah. And like Yugi's there, it's the duel, and then so when you start, when you pick Yugi, so like instead of picking the silent, you pick the silent, you go in. When you pick the duelist, it has like, like a starting name deck. is already too much. I'm sorry, like the deck. It has like a starting deck and you can pick like a blue eyes deck or like a dark magician deck or like a basic oh, deck. And that's like, so cool. Yeah, like it has a bunch of different decks and it, it's like it's just a bunch of fucking nonsense. But there's another mod called like the Packmaster, which is really interesting. And I think it's a, another similar idea to like the duelist or Yu-Gi-Oh, but it's not Yu-Gi-Oh at all. There's a, a mod called the Packmaster where you get packs of cards. I don't fully know how it works, but it's another thing where like you get you open up booster packs as you go and like make your deck that way. It's it's just like another interesting. There's so many really good crazy mods. All right. I would be remiss if I did not bring up that Slate Aspire has some fucking amazing music. Oh, it's, when you heard the Act 4 music, bro? Listen. So, the last like 2 weeks, I've been drowning in the Hearts 
actual theme song. It is so fucking good. It is the darkest, craziest Game of Thrones sounding uh, OST <laughs> I've ever heard. First of all, this game in general is very dark. I tend to play it at nighttime. And at first I thought that was because like, I don't know. I, I thought that it was because it's just when I had convenient time to play Slate Aspire. What I realized is that that's not what's really happening. I feel like because the game is so ominous, it feels like you're traveling through hell and everything about it is all dark themed. Playing it at night for me just makes sense. Mm. And because I've gotten so much better at the game, like playing at night doesn't actually feel as bad as it used to because it's like, oh, I'm tired and I'm trying to play this game. And I'm the problem is like learning while trying to play. Now I'm just I'm not really learning anymore. Like I'm always learning. Let me get correct but like i'm not learning the ui anymore like i know how to yeah. click around and i know you're, what that symbol you're still means. learning new things but you're not learning everything yes every, like before you were learning everything literally now it's like you're just everything playing was every new. now and then you'll go oh. Yes. oh yeah this is something i should you know keep in mind of in the future and stuff like that yeah the but, game oh my god the music and when i play it at night because the music is like ominous it has this this haunting sound to it all all the soundtracks like every level it just has like this you're watching a horror movie feeling to it and then some of the mm -hmm. enemies look scary or well, most of them look scary uh even the names are scary so it just has this feeling of you're dante traveling through the burning abyss it literally is how it feels to me but when you get to the heart the fe i haven't fought the heart no i'm about to but i haven't fought the heart in over a week because i've just been doing ascension climbs and there's no actual incentive to do so but Besides, like maybe points, uh, which you'll just unlock everything naturally. So for me, I haven't fought him in a while, but his music has been in my head constantly. <laughs> so I've just been listening to it on YouTube, and I can't wait until the next time I genuinely fight him because I might just pause for a second and let that shit play. It's so good. Let it play. It's so good. Yeah. If you haven't heard it, go on YouTube, type it. This might make you play the game because I'm trying to get you guys to play the game, and yes. I'll throw anything at you. So if you if music has ever made you want to play a game before, which has happened to me, if music has ever been a reason why you played a game, then listen to uh, Act Four Boss Slate Aspire theme and go on YouTube, type that in, and it will come up. It is amazing. It's literally fucking so good. And I love how everything is a test to how well you built your deck because you can play the like Ascension Climbing is really fun. And even that, there's a bunch of deck checks but and deck test. But the heart, the thing that's interesting about Act 4 is it's always the same. All of the other acts can be different. You get to choose your path. What elites you fight might be different. What boss you fight might be different. Act 4 is always the same. You start it off. You do, I think it's like you start with like a shop. Then you do a campfire. Or no, I think you do a campfire, then a shop. Yeah. Then the elite, and then the boss. And that's the other thing. Most acts, there's always a campfire before the boss. And this, the campfire is before the elite. And then right after the elite, you fight the boss. And then the elite has this whole new mechanic that no other fight in the game has. And then you get to the heart. And the heart is like the ultimate check. Everything you did till now doesn't matter. Like, did you build your deck in a way where it can deal with my bullshit? Yeah. Because I'm about to throw some bullshit at you. The heart is nonsense. Like I told I told Kenny Stingo before we um we like officially started this podcast. I was like, I don't think I can beat the heart. Unless Vault if Vault works the way I hope it does. I can I have a chance if vault doesn't work the way I think it does I'm pretty much screwed because I, I cannot block like my deck literally is built in a way where I just don't block I just attack in every fight I've won every single fight the same way I've just attacked <clears throat> and that has gotten me through every single fight playing 30 cards and just attacking but on a heart playing 30 cards is 30 HP I don't have talk to the hand uh, I'm just thinking about like all the things wrong with my deck against the heart specifically, but yeah. my deck What's is interesting broken. is that one card talk to the hand, like solves so much of that. Yeah, no, it literally like talk to the hand is just like, all right, well now I'm good. Yeah. It just solves. It literally solves that fight. Uh, at least, at yeah, least where, that, at least where I'm at. Yeah. That's a funny story because, um, it was my first like time playing the heart, right? 
Yeah, it was the first time fighting the heart. And essentially, Frazier was asked, you know, was just, he was looking at talk to the hand at first and he was just doing his inquisitive, just like staring. Yeah. And he was just like, I was in the shop and I was staring and I was like, huh, this card doesn't seem that good. This, this card seemed kind of bad. And I was just sitting there silently. Because I thought like, about how I cleared all my previous fights, and the Watcher is so fucking broken that talk to the hand in a regular fight is like nonsense. Like, bro, you're not living for me to gain block off of you. Um, <laughs> and what I told him, what I told him, he was just when he was just finally like, "What would you do, Stang?" I'm like, "All right, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna clarify it with this because this is how it should happen. You should not be taking talk to the hand because you literally are saying you don't want talk to the hand." Yep. And that's, what I, you, and that's what I said. I said, I, I'm going to not take it. I said, I'm literally going, no matter what I said, no matter what you say, I'm not taking talk to the hand because I right now do not think that this is a good card for my deck. And you said, remember you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember you say that. And then he started playing cards and taking damage from the heart. And I was because like, the heart, oh my God. Instead of the heart actually putting a debuff on you that, that applies this, he just has an aura effect in the game called heartbeat. And essentially, every single card Crazy. you do, you do deals damage to you. Um, every time you play a card, you take damage. You every take time. damage, and there's no way to stop it except for playing like a block card first, and then playing cards because that damage will take away your block before your actual uh, yeah life points first. It's interesting because it's another way. It's another creative way to do what like the time eater did. The time eater puts a hard limit on the amount of cards you can play. What the heart does is say like you can play as many cards as you want, but every time you do, you're going to get punished. Like you're going to get hurt, and you have to have a block strategy. And like you have to come up with a good block strategy and damage strategy to deal with them. Because then that's just every card you play dealing damage. The heart still has his own turn where he is going to do really mean things to you. Yes, it's a really really tough fight. It's the perfect amount of difficulty, I would say. Um, it has the perfect amount of difficulty for being an extra boss that is like the true ending and a real challenge and replayability and everything. Like it does all the things, even where I'm at, it does all things that like make me feel scared. Like I genuinely feel mm -hmm. scared except for when I poison it for like 1400. But outside of that one time, uh, it does everything to make you feel scared enough to be like, all right, this is going to be tough. Let me build my deck in a way. And it's cool. What's cool about the heart being an, an optional final, final boss is you can go into a run saying, I'm going for the heart, therefore I'm going to build with that in mind. I haven't, now, on this run that I'm on right now, I haven't seen Talk to the Hand, which it will just trivialize that fight. I haven't seen that card, like, at all, um, which is kind of concerning now that I'm thinking about it, because I, I, I didn't even have the option to choose it if I wanted to. And I also have the thing where I only see one reward at the end of a uh, combat. Boss crown, yeah. I've had that for a while now. I choose that relic almost every time I see it. Uh, it's like one of my, it's pretty much my favorite relic. Uh, because I don't take cards anyway. <laughs> it's just kind of like, whatever. Um, so that relic like stops me from seeing multiple cards, and then I don't really fight the heart that often. So most of my runs, I don't have to factor it in. I'm just like, yeah, take the Busted Crown. I don't need most cards. But I haven't seen Talk to the Hand. I do have something at the shop. I have a relic that says, uh, things restock after you buy them in the shop, and they cost 20% less in general. And then I also yeah. have the discount card on top of that. So the shop 50 is... 50% less. <laughs> so the shop is 70% off everything, which is fucking broken. Cards literally cost... Five cent, eleven cent. Uh, relics cost fifty. Like literally, I, I bought two relics for a hundred. It's like I'm just doing. That's I'm breaking. I feel like I'm breaking the game right now. I got two relics for a hundred, and then they refilled, and it was two new relics, and I bought those too because I was like, this is my first shop, and yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I, there's one more shop now where I'm at. If talking hand shows up, that'd be great. If it doesn't, then oh well. You know, it runs doesn't over, oh well. Runs over. Yeah, runs over with the heart. It's fine. That's what's interesting about busted crown is like. 
if your deck's already built and decided, it's it's like really good. But Buster Ground can be scary to take early, especially if your deck's not all the way built yet, because it reduces your card variety by what, like sixty six percent? Yeah. Because like instead of seeing three cards, you only see one card, and so it can really hinder making your deck better because it hinders the amount. Yeah, of your good deck cards needs to be built for the most part by the time you get Buster Crown. Like, I think I got it going into Act Three. So by the time, like, my deck is always built in Act 2, and then Act 3 is just, like, I'll add little trinkets here and there. Like, I'm just adding yeah. little, like, I'll take a hint of this, a hint of that. But Act 3, I'm not, I'm not really adding, unless they throw some busted shit. Like, if you throw a, um, what's the card for the Silent that makes her ethereal, or not ethereal, but, like, immortal, intangible for three turns? Uh, yeah, it's Wraith called Wraithform. So I got Wraithform, like, before the Act 3 boss like yesterday or the day before and i was like well i wasn't going to add anything else but this just makes this fight a joke and i just added it to my deck and it was like yeah this this fucking three cost power that i'm going to upgrade at the final campfire and now the defect has echo form where for the rest of the fight the first card every turn you play is played twice i've yet to get that card i want to get that card so bad (laughs) i've yet to actually just i haven't even like seen it to choose it to, uh, to deny it it, it, it's it is hard to set up but it is if you if you can get it set up without too much the sacrifice it is right. single-handedly one of the best cards yeah it it's burst but for anything and yeah. you only need to play a power once to have it yeah, yeah it's, it is absurd. it's so strong it's cool too something i like just talking about wraith form echo form uh the ironclad has um demon form demon form and then the watcher has i think it's called deva form so something that's yep. cool that the, the game does too is like a lot of the cards have analogs of each other. Like the characters have like these analog cards. So for example, they all have a, a low damage, zero cost card that scales. Um, for example, the Ironclad has anger where every time you play anger, another anger gets added to your deck. The Silent has endless agony where it's a zero cost, low damage card. And every time you draw endless agony, a dupe of endless agony uh, appears in your hand. The defect has claw, where every time you play claw, all claws just get stronger. The card itself gets stronger, and all the claws get stronger. And then the watcher has um, flare of blows, where it's a low damage zero. And we talked about that earlier, where you play it, and every time you stance switch, you get it back. So they all have like these really cool analog cards. Where and this is across everything. They have like demon form, echo form, etc. They all have a version of like burst is like the next skill you play is played twice, and then ironclad is double tap, where it's like the next attack you play is played twice, and then defect has amplify which is the next power you play if played twice they all have like these cool analog cards which i really enjoy just like seeing that that trend of them yeah no it's definitely it's definitely a a really really cool thing feed lesson learned all of those guys as well if you end the fight there's like certain things that say if you end the fight using this card uh, or kill a creature using this card if it's fatal it'll do something so one of them is feed and it's one of the best cards in the game if you get it early especially but feed says it does like 10 damage when it's not upgraded. And if you kill a creature with feed, it will increase your max HP by like, yep. what, three or five think, or something? I think it's by two and then upgrade it maybe three. Okay. Something it's it's like not that. something ridiculous, but if you think about Slate Aspire, you start off with like 80 HP as Ironclad, I think. And if you got to kill 10 creatures over the course of a run, that's 20 HP. Also on top of that, uh, he naturally heals, and if I'm not mistaken, this is another thing about, and this is something that you just find out while playing the game, when you get your max HP increase, your actual HP goes up as well. So, yep. 
So typically there's a there's like a, a thing called Mango. It's a relic. And when you pick it up and you get like 14 max HP. It's really broken in my opinion. Um, especially sometimes when you see it in the shop and it's just like, oh shit, I could buy a Mango. And like I kind of need a healing anyway. So yep. you'll buy the Mango. And let's say you were at 40 HP and then it'll say 40 out of 72 because you're at a Watcher. And you have 40 out of 72 HP and you're like, oh, I'm kind of low. And this relic is like 150. Yeah, I'll buy the mango. Your 40 will go to 54 because you gain 14 max HP, but it also gives you that increase on your current HP as well. So I think that's like really cool. Really nice. Also, events, anything that does anything related to HP, like in terms of events, scales with your max HP. So, for example, if you go to a campsite and you rest to heal, it heals based on percentage. I think it's like 20% or something. I don't know. So if you have more max HP, you heal, you gain more points of life because you have more max hp uh so healing becomes more effective but in the same regard events that deal damage to you actually deal more damage the more max hp you have the more damage you might take from an event that like deals damage to you because it scales with how much hp you have so there's like some interesting strategy where there's a potion called fruit juice and when you drink fruit juice it just increases your max hp by five it's just a potion that for the rest of the game you have plus five you can drink it whenever you feel like it outside of combat too yeah, you can drink it whenever you want, even outside of combat. So when you get fruit juice, you shouldn't use it. You should save it for when, like, I need 5 HP or I die this turn. Or just save it to, like, a point when, like, you need to get rid of a potion. So, like, okay, I'll drink the fruit juice now or whatever. Yeah. But the, the reason why is because you can come across an event that'll deal damage to you. And it'll deal more damage to you if you have more max HP. So if you get an event that deals damage to you before you drink the fruit juice, you actually took less damage. And you're holding a 5, a five HP heal as well as a 5 HP upgrade. So it's just like, it's really cool just interacting with everything that you have in that way. Potions, relics, cards, pathing. Yeah, we. it's funny. We really didn't talk about potions at all. But we didn't I'm talk about potions this, at all. The scope of this game is incredible. There's so many things. And the more we talk about, the more I realize I, I, I did liken it to Yu-Gi-Oh! in the very beginning. And that makes sense because Yu-Gi-Oh! is the same in the sense that it's a card game where you become better not necessarily because your deck becomes better, even though that can be true as well, but you really become better because you just know more in Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. You just you just know so much knowledge. You just know so many things. Like, Stango has been playing Yu-Gi-Oh for four years consistently, and the amount of things that he just understands and knows about the way the game works is an actual weapon against people who don't have the benefit of knowing some of the things that he knows. Like, you just know, like, oh, Thunder King can't negate Gores. Some people don't know that. So literally they might attack with Thunder King directly and be like, oh, if he has Gores, I'll just negate it, right? And then they do that, and the opponent drops Gores, and they're like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. It says negate the special summon, but like, yeah, but you can't do that, though. And that's just something that you can't read Thunder King and tell that, though, because it says on it what you think it does, but it actually Mm -hmm. just doesn't do what it says at all. And that's most Mm -hmm. Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Just don't do what they say. So (laughs) Yeah, uh, that is interesting, isn't it? And so it's latest fire. I almost got ruined yesterday. I ended up still winning this run. I thought I was going to lose because of it, but I had two relics. So I started with the silent and her opening relic says draw two extra cards at the start of a combat. You know what's so funny? After you sent me the screenshot, the next, the next silent run I did, I got the exact same relics you're about to mention. Yep. And I did, I cleared the run as well. It was like Ascension 17 or something, but I did, I got the same, same exact relics you're about to talk about. And it was like right after you sent me the screenshot. I thought it was so funny. So I got uh, her starting relic is draw two cards, so draw two additional cards to start of your turn on the first turn. So you start out with seven cards as opposed to five when the game starts. I also got something called bag of preparation, which says draw an additional two cards at the start of combat. So basically what this means is that at the start of combat, I draw nine cards, right? And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. This is actually broken as fuck. I'll take it. Yeah. Then later on, I got some relic that says 
at the start of combat, add three shivs into your hand. Now, shivs are yep. zero Ninja cost. Scroll. Yes, shivs are zero cost uh, attacks that deal four damage each. And they're not very good just in a vacuum, but in context of certain things that the silent can do and in context of certain relics, they are ridiculous. They can actually be the most <laughs> broken thing in the entire game. So, like, shivs are really cool. And because I already started out with uh, nine cards and your max hand size is 10 in this game, I thought that when I picked up the Ninja Scroll as my next relic, I was like, oh, it's just going to add one shiv to my hand. Like I thought going into it, I'm just going to end up with one shiv and nine of a cards, which is fine because it's still an extra card. It's also free for damage. It's It doesn't cost anything to play. So there's no downside to having just one shiv. Typically, you know, there's things that can make that bad. But typically that is just a fine thing to have. Looking at you, Time Eater. What ended up happening is, and this is something that I just didn't know that the game works like this, that relics actually resolve in reverse order. They resolve not reading left to right, like English. They go right to left. So because I got... No, that's not true either. Well, then why does Ninja Scroll trump the other ones? So I'm I'm happy because I didn't know that's how you thought it ended up happening. Because this will avoid another problem in the future. If So... For example, are you saying that you thought that if Ninja Scroll was before Bag of Prep, Bag of Prep would happen, and then Ninja Scroll would work the way you initially thought it did? So I thought that if Bag of Prep came last, Bag of Prep would apply first. Okay, so no, that doesn't happen. So the way it works is Ninja Scroll does a thing where it makes, it gives you three shivs, and essentially they become innate. And for anybody that doesn't know, innate is a keyword in the game where if you have a card that is innate, it is always in your opening hand. So your opening hand is draw five. If you have a card that's innate, you get that card plus four. It's not like you get your draw five and then the innate card. And so if you have five cards that are innate, your opening hand will always be those five cards. Um, what Ninja Scroll does is it says like, you have three shivs innate. So your opening hand is going to have three shivs. Um, so I remember what I said earlier. It actually doesn't say that. And this is my problem with like the game in general is that things will say something and do another. Like Ninja wait, Scroll- So it says like, yeah, what does it say when you- your opening hand, you add three shivs, or what does it say? It says at the start of your first turn or something like that. I'll look at I'm it. I'm right pretty now. sure it doesn't say the words because you use the word innate, which I know what innate No, it doesn't means. say innate. It doesn't say okay, innate. Well, I was using innate to explain but, something. But else. using innate is wrong because that's not what the card says. That's not what the relic says. So, like, and this is my point is that, like, this game is just like Yu Gi Oh! because it doesn't actually do what it says. Because it says, at the start of combat, add three shifts to your hands. Well, bragging preparation says at the start of combat, draw two additional cards. So like, yeah. so if it used the word innate, I would have been like, oh, well, I don't want that because I actually do know, I understand what the word innate yeah. means. Like innate has fucked me before on a lower ascension because I accidentally made a terrible card innate thinking like, this would be great. And then later on, I was like, oh God, I open every game with this block card. And it's like, it's, it's cute. It's cool, but it's not like, I don't want it in every opening hand. Should, yeah, I was using thing. the innate. I was, cause I was, I was in the, I was going to explain like something else that happens with it, but yeah, no, Ninja Stroll doesn't say innate, but Yes, and I don't want people to think that, like, that's the reason why it works like that. It works like that because that's just the way they chose for it to work like that. Like, it doesn't use the word innate. If it does no, use the word no. innate, then I recant everything I'm saying. But if it, no, if it, it doesn't, doesn't use the, innate. If it doesn't use the word innate, then it's just literally, just like Konami said so, it's literally just that. Like, because Konami said so. Yeah, well, so at the start of combat, it adds three cards, it adds three shivs of your hand. But the, the thing I wanted to get to on the innate thing, just because this helps me think, but okay, all right, first of all, I want to talk about this just so that now Fraser definitely knows because I don't want him to do a future run where he's like, oh, cool. This happened in the reverse order. Yes, so now that's what, I, that's what I just assumed. I was like, okay, well, that must be how this works, right? 
No, so yeah, it doesn't the relics don't resolve in an order. They just kind of like their effects happen in like the way they happen. You just kind of have to know mm-hmm. they have like I don't know. It it's I don't know, priority. Or it something. says at know. the start of each combat, add three shivs into your hand. Um, yeah. Bag of preparation says at the start of each combat, draw two additional cards. So like literally, yeah. literally, if you just know English, the English language. The first part of both of these clauses before the comma is at the start of each combat. Then after the comma, they say what they do. So does Ring of the Snake at the start of each combat. So Ring of the Snake plus Ninja Scroll plus Bag of Prep have the exact same start before the comma. And then after that, they say what they do after the comma, right? And that's just English. And so again, reading these, I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to work like this. I'm going to get one shiv. For whatever fucking reason... For whatever reason, that's not like obviously told to you because this game doesn't tell you a lot. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't resolve that way. You end up getting three shivs first, then your draws happen, and then you end up with a hand that has three shivs and seven cards, which is not actually what I ever want unless I have a shuriken deck, which I did not. Hey, I want that if I don't have to, if I don't get bag of prep, you know what I mean? If I, want bag of, if I don't yes. get bag of prep, I still want bag of, I, I just, you know? I just fucked up with my bag though. I was so, I fucked my bag up, Kenny. Like I was so fucked sick. Fucked your bag up. Fucked your, but it, it is interesting because, you know, it, it just fucked, because yeah, they add, they put the three things and then. Do you know why you know, it's like that though? Like, is there an actual reason or is it just like. I, well, you know, I'm not the dev. I can tell you why I think, because what happens is it, it says it adds. Th- so the three shivs get added to your hand before you draw all your cards. So you get, so for example, bag of prep is still activating, but your hand size is at its hand size limit. So you can't draw the next two cards. And so the first thing that happens is like, cause I think even animation wise, if I remember correctly, when you start a combat, the three shivs happen first, I think. And then you, cause the three shivs also are always at the front of your deck. Yeah. Because you, remember you draw your hand, the three shivs are always the first three cards in your hand when you have ninja scroll. So the very first thing that ends up happening when you enter combat is like the three shivs appear and then you draw your hand. And so I think that's just all that's happening is that yeah. like so it's, you get the it's, three shivs. So it's it's definitely a developer like developer said so thing, Konami said so thing. And it's more so um it's there are phases and the way phases work essentially the same way Yu-Gi-Oh, yeah. the same way Magic has it, where like, okay, so if something tells you to draw cards at the start of combat, that's not necessarily the first thing that happens. Things can trump that in order. It's like, okay, a better example is the damaged up in Yu-Gi-Oh. So yeah, some of you may have heard that the damaged up has like eight substeps to it. Most people just think, oh, damage calc honest, and that's as much as they know. They're like, I just know I want to use honest at the last moment and damage calc. I just want to get the damage calc and I want to be like damage calc honest. I don't know about anything else about when monsters flip, when it gets sent to the grave, when graveyard effects activate, when does Donzo Lug activate? When, you know, like people, yeah. some people do know all of those things. And some people are like, I don't know all of that stuff and I don't really care to know. It. I just know I want to use this honest at the last possible moment. That way I can't get like fucked over. And that's just one of those things where Konami has this little visual guide that says, here is how things actually resolve in the damage step. And Slate Aspire, I'm assuming somebody, probably either a developer or somebody on Reddit, has like the same exact type of thing that says, when resolving relics and other buffs that you can just have, right? Uh, like tool, tools of the trade, you know, start a turn, draw a card, discard a card. But like yep. you could also have something something else. Let's say something else that adds a card to your oh, hand. So what, that's what great. First? Tools of the trade. If you have tools to trade active, let's say for whatever reason, like you have a, a thing that's always going to you're always going to draw 10 cards, right? And 10 cards is the hand size. Limit. So let's say you have pools of the trade active after you're already drawing 10 every turn anyway. What will happen is like your turn will start. You'll draw your 10 as you always do. You're not going to need additional card because you're at the hand size limit. And now you just got to discard a card. Wow. So like, 
See, that's and if I came across that, you know how annoyed I would be? Because it's like, bro, I didn't even get the bonus from Tools of the Trade. I just got the discard part of it. Just discard. It'll say your hand is full, and then it'll be like, now discard a card, bitch. Yep. That is so, yep. my God, I will, I will lose it. I will fucking lose it. But yeah, this but game... What's, what's cool is that the Silent has a lot of synergies with discarding. She so does. like, even that could be beneficial, because even if you don't get the first part of Tools of the Trade, there's a bunch of cards that you're going to gain benefit for discarding anyway. Yeah. So it's like... On, in some builds, that might really annoy you. Like, fuck, I'm just I'm just losing a card in my hand for no reason. But in other instances, it actually just ends up being a benefit. Like, oh, great. I, I still get to discard a card and get plus two energy or, or whatever else additional thing I get. It's so crazy how um, I think part of the fun, part of the reason why I love this game so much already is just because of how many things I'm learning as I play it. And that is like part of I think that my personality type is just one that loves learning. And the older I get, the more I realize that. So me just getting to learn so many nuanced things, because it is just a bunch of nuanced information. Like even yeah. me trying to rationalize, like, oh, they must resolve backwards. It's like, that's my brain trying to rationalize. Why does this not work the way I think it should work? Because the first thing I did, Kenny, is read the three and be like, they have the same, they said they have the same word. Like I was, I was looking for like keywords like something i said oh yeah, dummy, yeah, yeah if you read this right you would have known how these resolve but i'm like bro this is a konami said so moment like this is thunder king all over again thunder king says one thing and it's not happening why is it not happening i don't know yeah i just it's one of those things where it's like but it's, it's also great th- like everything else in the game it's like the, it's just one of those things where you just learn by playing yes and you just play and learn. And so I, and I think in that case, the game it's like, as a result, because next time that happens, that's the same situation is going to happen hundred percent. If I keep playing this game and yeah. where, I, where like, I'll have a conflicting relic and I will have to choose to forego a relic because it conflicts with my other relics. Yeah, no, that that's definitely going to happen. It happens kind of crazy, but like, you know, there's chances where there's times where you'll be like, I do not want this relic that like, I just, yeah, I'm I, not I taking this. this. This, this, this goes against whatever it is that I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, oh, the thing I want to say about innate, cause it innate, on its own works in kind of a cool way. You always draw five. If you somehow get six cards in your deck that are innate, your opening hand will have six cards in it. Oh, that's broken. It'll always be those six. If you have 10 cards in your deck that say innate, your opening hand will have 10 cards. Even though you're not the silent and your your initial hand draw is five, your opening hand will be 10 cards because they're all innate. Now, the next crazy thing is if you have 11 cards that are innate, your, op- your hand size limit is 10. So it'll be those 10. And then I... Th- I don't fully remember what, how this works. Maybe it's the last one added to your deck. The 11th innate card is just the, the card on top of your deck. So if you have 20 innate cards, your first 10 cards you get in your opening hand, and then your deck is now ordered with like the next 10 cards. Right. Like the next 10 innate cards are just at the top of your deck. I have a question because um, there's bottle lightning and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I'm reading bottle lightning right now, and it doesn't use the word innate, but it has the same kind of verbiage where it says like, start your combat with this card in your hand. Does yep. that take away from what you because i have i have a run here with the silent where i have malaise with bottle lightning so i was yep. on every combat with malaise and i don't remember because it's been a couple days since i did this run two days actually two five i didn't give you every detail they um, give you everything yeah like i started this run on two five at 12 p.m they show you if you hover over each node it tells you how much damage you took what cards you chose what card rewards what, what cards were offered that you didn't take so you can look through it like, oh, if I actually picked this card, my run would have been so much different. I would have won. This is wild. Um, the amount of detail. Yeah, you, there's a thing in this game called run history. And it just gives you so many details about how your run went, what relics you got. How like, It even tells you, I don't know if this is a mod or not, but it tells you like 
how many cards your ink bottle relic drew for you? That uh, that that would be that's one of the mods, yeah. yeah. Okay, because I, I just thought that maybe the game, but yeah, it gives you how many times per turn on average did you proc it? How many turns per combat did you proc it? Um, how many did you heal from Regal Pillow? Uh, how many did you heal from Lee's Waffle? Uh, why does it say sixty four? Oh, okay, I get it. Because I you pick it up, you heal, you heal, and then you also heal all of your HP. Yeah, your max HP goes up. Damn, Lee's Waffle's broken. Um, My man Lee's out here. Yeah, Lee, I'm just waffles. like really reading Lee's Waffle. I'm going to pick up Razor, max HP, buy seven, and heal. All. That could be a, a run saver. Oh, that that has saved runs for sure. I've gotten Lizard Tail for the first time today, and it says revive with 50% HP, and I was like, well, that's just, that's just dumb. Like, you that's, wanna, okay, there is an awesome, awesome interaction where and by awesome i mean it's horrible and i there's so many people that get caught by it and they get so angry and they're like this game's so stupid but like it it does work <laughs> like what ha- i don't it's funny so there's a an event where in that event it's like fight and act one boss and get good rewards and then the other things are like gain 999 gold and you can no longer heal i think it is and then the other one is like or no i think it's upgrade every card in your deck and you can oh, no longer heal oh god yeah i've had that and option then, before so if you have if you do the thing where it says like you get upgrade every single card in your deck or whatever it is, you can no longer heal and you have lizard tail. Lizard tail doesn't work because it can't heal you. So like people have didn't they take the thing that says you can no longer heal. And what happens is when people see that, they just think like, oh, I can no longer use campfires. They don't realize that like the ironclad no longer heals at the end of his turn. Uh, no form of healing in the game. Yeah, works the card that I have that exhausts every turn and like it gives you six HP. Um, yep, bandage up. Yeah, I have that card and. That doesn't work if you take anything like that. And I've, yep. I've thought about this too. It's, it's never happened to me because I've never taken anything that stops me from healing altogether, I think. I have taken something that said you can't rest, like the coffee cup, the coffee stipper or whatever. Yeah. I've taken that multiple times because it's an energy relic and I think it's one of the best. Uh, especially yep. if I feel like I don't heal a lot anyway. Or if I'm playing Ironclad, I genuinely don't heal. So, because he just does it. His relic is fucking outrageous. So, <laughs> so for me, I'm just like, oh, I've never taken a no heal thing, but I already conceptually thought about it will conflict with either cards in my deck or just my ironclad relic. I tend to get that option a lot when I'm playing ironclad. It's like the game's trying to be an asshole. And I'm always <laughs> like, no. Like, I just blatantly tell the game, no. Also, the Velvet Choker when I'm playing the Silence. Like, bro. Or even the Watcher. It's like, I need to play multiple cards. To, for this, to, to function with the Silent, I need to, like, shiv and then create four of them. Yeah. Shiv again, create four of them. Like, bro. I can't play six. Double choker is hard on the on the silent. But with Ironclad, it's like, oh, I only play like fucking four cards anyway. So yeah, I'm gonna do this bludgeon that costs three energy and it's gonna do 42 damage, and you're gonna you're gonna deal with it. Yeah. Gonna deal with it. I'm gonna vulnerable you, and now it's gonna deal 70 damage or fucking the game is great. Boom. What's the Absolutely. one relic that makes it where vulnerable creatures take more damage? Paper frog. Okay, I love that. Paper frog is one of my when I get paper I haven't frog had it in I'm a like, very very long time. I'm looking at my run history. I haven't seen paper frog in a, in like yeah. a week, but that is one of my favorite relics. Paper frog is very and then there's paper crane, which makes it so that weak so weak reduces enemy damage by 25%. Paper crane makes it 40%, I believe. And then like paper frog is enemies take or vulnerable is enemies take 50% more damage and then paper frog makes it 75% more damage um so you just deal so much more damage vulnerable is such a good way it's one of the things i think ironclad's bash it's one of his it's in my opinion one of the best starting deck cards yeah um because it adds to vulnerable which can add a lot of damage and then upgrading bash is something i do very often because it makes vulnerable last three turns instead of two turns which like that extra turn of vulnerable can add so much damage and yeah it's just I like Bash a lot. It's one of the cards I really enjoy upgrading. Usually I don't upgrade starting deck cards that often, but Bash is one of them. 
Yeah, I update, uh, upgrade. I upgrade typically um, eruption for the watcher. Yeah. I prioritize yeah. that because the difference between two and one is huge. So I go for that almost immediately. I've never up updated um, vigilance ever, which has never been a thing. Uh, and I upgrade. What's the other one? Uh, bash. Yeah, like you said. So bash is bash is always upgraded because Stango explained this to me too early on. He was like, "It's just DPS. Like you just yeah. You need to up, you need to upgrade that for DPS reasons." And then once he said that word like dps and i thought monster hunter and i was like of course you do like yeah. <laughs> of course weakness exploit needs to go on every single build in a game and they need to nerf it for me to take it off like yeah of course dps is a thing in this game as well you need to start thinking like dps so once he said that to me i started recontextualizing everything i thought and i was like oh okay making it last one more turn is actually huge and my runs have been easier as a result. Every little thing I learned has made me a better player overall, which is what should happen, and has made the game significantly easier the more things I just keep adding to the fucking, like, library of information. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, Eruption's one. Another one is, uh, I mean, the defect, like, it's weird because there are some runs where, like, you just don't have to do this, but I like upgrading Zap because it makes it free. Me so too. It makes, every time I see Zap, I can just fucking put another orb up, um, which is nice. So there, there's cast. a lot of dual cast another one. Yeah, like dual cast as well. So yeah. I feel the same way, and I've been struggling with this sometimes. I love upgrading cards to make them cost zero. It's actually one of my favorite types of upgrades to do. A card going from two to one is one thing, but a card going from whatever to zero is one of my like biggest dopamine rushes because that means that every time I draw it, I can play it. And yeah. I don't think that is. I can't say this because I'm new to the community end game. I don't think it's spoken about enough how good it feels to just I can always play it. Like, mm -hmm. I can always play this card. That feeling to me is better than, like, oh, this card will deal six more damage. Like, sure. Oh, yeah. Your, your card deals six more damage. But, like, this card is now free. Yeah, there's upgrades. There's, like, an upgrade priority in my head. Like, when I go in, if a card's upgrade is literally just, like, it does four more damage or six more damage, that the priority of upgrading that card is very low. Yeah. Like, Ironclad has a card called Pommel Strike. And when you upgrade, it, it's damage, draw one card. When you upgrade it, it's more damage, draw two cards. And that's the part that matters. I don't care that it does more damage. It's yeah. the fact that now when I play this card, I draw two makes it much yeah. more reliable. It's like, oh my God, like this makes it so much better. And so except for certain exceptions where when you upgrade it, like for example, Heavy Bleed, when you upgrade it, that's just dealing more damage, but it does so much more damage. It's yeah. Like, okay, I'm it upgrading says, Heavy Blade so, for the damage. So you know what's funny? Um the conversation came up you guys were both on the call with me when i was playing i was in the silent and a uh, catalyst came up and i had an option to upgrade like the the cloud thing uh or i could update upgrade catalyst and Stanga was like well one of them says fucking double the triple and i was like god damn it from a mathematical standpoint there was never going to be something to upgrade over catalyst no matter how hard I fight, nothing will ever be on the same level of an upgrade as the difference between double and triple. Like, I just, even if you don't really know math that well, yeah. the, the gap between doubling something and tripling something is kept, like... He just kept saying, it's an expression. Yeah, yeah, it's literally like, an yeah. expression. Yeah. An ex Dude, because like, poison, poison cloud goes from five poison to seven poison, which is really good because poison's really good. Like, you want your poison to be as big as possible. Yeah. But five to seven, you know, but double it's, it's four, it's four to like, seven, but that doesn't make it any better. It doesn't, whatever it is, it yeah. doesn't make it any better. Your point still stands. I just want to say for the people listening who are like sticklers, it, it goes from four to seven, but it doesn't make it any better. Triple in is terms like, of like that is so much because yeah. when you triple it, it's fucking tripled. Like, and so triple you, is, you gain so much. Kenny, I don't understand why something would ever get tripled ever. And so, heavy blade. You know, I've seen it tiered multiple times. I've seen it low tiered multiple times now. And like, I get it. 
I understand their arguments for it. I've had so many. I think all my successful runs with Ironclad at some point have had a heavy. No, not the last one. The last one was like that Demon Four where I had seventy eight strength at the end of it, and I did like whirlwind for eighty four each, and I had seven fucking energy. That one didn't have a heavy blade, but that one didn't need a heavy blade. But think about how but funny similar it would be. concept. If I had heavy Whirlwind, blade, though, yeah, well, yeah. If you had seventy of strength with heavy blade, I mean, because heavy blade says your strength uh, strength affects this card three times instead of once, right? Yep. Typically, one strength is one strength, but heavy blade one strength is three strength. The upgrade is one strength is five strength. Strength affects this card five times, right? And I mean, yeah, it's not quite cata- <laughs> it's not quite catalyst level of broken where it goes from double to triple, but three times something and quintupling something is absolutely fucking insane i like i don't understand how when i think about five times again and then this class naturally just gains like oh spot weakness gain four strength and then heavy blades going to gain four times five so it's going to gain 20 that's yeah. nutty and then you make them vulnerable so they take 50 percent more damage yeah. and because it's 50 percent more damage the bigger your strength is the more damage that is adding so like yeah if you're dealing 100 damage you're now dealing 150 it's you know strength. what's funny i would love to see the damage equation for slatus buyer I, I ran I ran like the numbers really quickly and this just shows how like broken multi-attacking which strength is. Oh, um, multi-attacking is crazy. It, it it still seems like even in that situation, Borland's still better than than heavy than heavy blade. Well, because yeah, if you have seven energy, because that well that's the thing. That you didn't energy, have heavy blade like, that run, but you had the same concept because whirlwind does the same thing because like in a way you could read heavy blade as like um strength affects this card five times you could also read it as like attack five times right because there's card right. like for example twin strike says attack twice that does the same thing as like strength affects this card twice you know what i mean except it's just like functions a little bit differently there are situations where they are effectively differently but yeah mostly attacks scale your strength as well and it's an insane degree and it's just fucking awesome yeah it's really dumb this game is fantastic all right well we have spoken for over two and a half hours at this point about slate aspire and there's no way to cover like literally everything without the podcast nah. being five hours long but I we'll think be that- back when you're ascension 20 and we're doing like an ascension 20 breakdown and like yeah. even more in depth like yeah because there's oh, ex- so much more to talk about i can't i can't wait to hear those tears yeah there will be tears because they're going to be runs that probably get so far and it's like god damn it um but yes, I'm definitely down to do another Slate Aspire podcast in the future. If you guys like Slate Aspire, please, please, please definitely write listener letters about this game. I've already had people who are watching me live stream the first night I did start live streaming it. And they were talking about, oh my God, I know you played this. I love this game. And I was like, I, I didn't used to play it until like a week ago. So people already know about it and like it, which makes sense because it's a car game technically. But I, I'm in love with the game. I'm going to continue to play it for a while. And uh I would love to hear what other people think about it. So listener letters, personal messages, whatever you can do to just like, you know, promote more Slate Aspire content. That would be great. And on top of that, let me get the list of people on our Patreon. Uh, thank you guys so much for supporting as well as always everyone and any tier, but especially the people in the party member or higher tier. You guys are amazing and you're kind of the lifeblood of the I'm There podcast. You guys help yes. to make us motivated and keep the lights on here. So that's we, always... We need help keeping the lights on for sure. Yes. So, okay. We always start off with the number one, the first person to ever subscribe to the Patreon. We got Connie. Then we have the Cult of Volvi. Uh, Leon, uh, after 10 long years, my handless combo is complete. Xavier, Hylian, Dimitri Barnes, Father Multiverse, Dom the Goat, Giovanni Avalos, Alex Flammer, Ari Reynolds, Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn, First to Home, Mitchell Niles, Vince Marquette, Dallas Bailey, KJ, Roz Weiss, Father Multiverse again, Sarah Maria, Alex Ahern, Philip Campa, Kyle Botelho, Guac is Extra, Sugal, Vicky Venomon, and then we have... Elijah Barthoff, 
Uh, Tyler Tadeo, Volvo the Mega Monarch, Enraced Peacock, Janitor215, Thomas Rude, Brian Moore, Ty P336 is the Soul King Baby, Gingerilla, Grandfather Multiverse. <laughs> he had the one up him. Yeah, right? What the fuck? I'm just a little nasty sometimes. Frozen Go Dojo, Auntie Did Nothing Wrong, David V, Nextastic, B Dog 23, Felipe Glenn, Hershey Bar, Empoister, Romeo Junk Synchron Schneider, Tyler Frasher, Sasha Egger, and Daniel Anderson. Again, thank you guys so, so much for your support. Thank you, Stengo, for hopping on this episode. Stengo plays this game a lot. I didn't used to know what the fuck it was because on Discord, he has that thing that shows like what he's doing. So I could see like Slate Aspire and I remember, oh, this is something that Kenny told me about. But again, I thought it was like a different co-op game or some shit. So never really knew what it was. And now I know how great this game is and seeing that he was playing it so often. I just had no idea. It makes me a little like, damn, I missed out. But, you know, <laughs> everything happens for a reason. Here we are. It's 2024. Slate Aspire is a great game. Definitely cop it. Check out the Steam shop. I think the best way to play it is definitely on um, PC. We do like a lot of mods. I don't know how it works on the other yeah. systems and stuff, but no, the I mean, there's no mod support. Really good. Because Steam, like the mod support is through Steam. Like yeah. PlayStation doesn't have official mod support for games, but yeah. you can pick it up on anything. The game it's is a great incredible. mobile game. It is great no matter what. Uh, I, yeah. I definitely, because like a lot, like I said, my mods that I currently use are all quality of life. Like literally all of them are just quality of life improvements, which do matter to me because like I've played Moss Hunter from the first one and all the way to Rise and like they're God. It can never go back. But I think the game will still survive even if I didn't have all the quality of life improvements. Yeah, I mean, my most played, I have it on my Switch, I have it on my phone, and I have it on my PC. It's a mobile game, you said? Yeah, you can play it on your cell phone, which oh, is incredible. God. Because So the first thing I ever got on was my Nintendo Switch, and I play it everywhere. I play it on Uber, I play it wherever I go, I have my Switch with me, and I can like play Slay the Spire. But there is uh, sometimes where I'm at work, um, and you know, at, at the bar, bartending, and it's just like a dead night, no one's coming in. And I can't just pull my switch out like that's a little ridiculous. Yeah. And so I literally got Slay the Spire on my phone because I was like, OK, like I'm on my phone all the time anyway, if it's a dead night. So I can just play Slay the Spire on my fucking phone. And so even though I don't have access to all the mods, it's still the same game. And like everything's fucking amazing. But if you can get it on PC, it's really nice to get it on PC because the mods can add so much more to the game, even though the game is infinitely replayable, even without mods. Mods just add double infinite replayability to infinity have, and beyond i have one quick question before we completely close out the episode about slate aspire um so you can have it on multiple consoles there's no like account sign in or anything is there no 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 your account doesn't transfer between okay that would have been too perfect because i would love to just have my because like right now if i open this up on my macbook and if i open this up on my pc it's the same exact because it's just my steam account doing it uh it would be yeah. so cool if like you signed into slate aspire and then on my phone, I also, if I had it on my phone, I think my life would start to deteriorate. So I'm yeah. maybe it's not the best. But anyway, guys, like I always say, do the things that make you happy, including playing Slate Aspire until 4 a.m. with your friends. Peace. Now, the Spire sleeps and so will I. <laughs> Victory? Question mark. <laughs>
Thank you.